0: what's up everyone welcome back to another episode of the antler podcast and we are on episode 37 and i'm joined by jacob myers from the southern outdoorsman podcast and youtube channel And what a fun episode this was to record. I felt like I was talking to a uh, a long lost brother and Jacob is a whitetail fanatic and that is always looking to to help others improve their hunting abilities, hence why he has his YouTube channel and the podcast and is also very, very active on social media as well, which is helping others, which is awesome. And uh, Jacob is also a major gearhead like myself, and we had a blast talking about hunting gear some new stuff that's out like kind of how gears helped him uh improve as a hunter as well some different hunting strategies and a heck of a lot more and i hope you enjoy this one and jacob thank you for coming on best of luck to you and your friends this upcoming season and uh looking forward to to your more uh, continued success and i'll also say too we recorded this one right before dimitri tim and i went on our uh, western hunt so like towards the end we talk a little bit about western hunting and everything like that but For the most part, it is really focusing on whitetail's gear and just just some fun hunting stories uh, from success and some things that he's learned about. So hope you enjoy it. And until next time, everybody, thank you and antler up. Before we get into the episode, I just want to say a big thank you to all of you for your continued support. And recently, too, we just put up our new hats up on our website. Those of you that already bought some, thank you. Uh, You can check them out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. Check out, too, our partners page. Uh, I just want to say thank you to all of them. We're just a year into Antler Up Outdoors, and it's truly uh, awesome to work with such great companies. So check them out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. And uh, let's get right into the episode. So thank you for listening. Antler up. So let's get rolling. Hey, everybody, we are live with another episode of the Antler Up podcast. And on the other line today, we have Jacob Myers from the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. Uh, You know him from some videos that he when he goes to ATA, he's always doing those awesome reviews. Uh, He's very vocal on social media as well. And then obviously with the Southern Outdoorsman uh, podcast, and obviously, too, man, the list keeps going. You have the YouTube page. Um, So, Jacob, welcome to the show, man.
1: Yeah, man. Glad to be here, Jeremy. It's yeah. uh, it's exciting, especially anytime we can talk gear. Yeah. Uh, I, I eat and breathe it so we can go down the rabbit hole. Yeah, today man. I, on
0: that. I, for, for all the listeners that I know, uh, have, I've, i I talk about him and I'm a gearhead. I absolutely love it. Uh, sometimes, uh, you would think I got an issue, but I think we all do <laughs> when we're in this industry. So, uh, dude, I'm so pumped to have you on and just really nerd out. And before we do that, you know, Jacob, I gave you that quick introduction. Tell us who you are, though, and like where you're coming from uh, and and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, so my uh, name is Jacob Myers. Uh, some people call me the ginger bow hunter as a joke, by the <laughs> way. I do not take that very seriously if anyone personally knows me. Um, but no, so um, originally from the central Alabama area, just moved back here about a year ago from uh, living both in uh, the Nashville area and also in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, you know, kind of grew up hunting. Uh, really private farms and leases with family members and I got tired of that because I, I was tired of only having X amount of property Really get out there and hunt on um, which to me got kind of annoying because I was like, man There's so much good stuff looking on the map and I'm like, it's not on this property uh, so I started getting to public land hunting and uh, Met my buddy uh, Andrew Maxwell who anyone who listens to our show. Of course y'all know Andrew um, Actually had a brother's ran into him while they went to go find a phone one day. They went hunting lost his phone and went back in there and Andrew's sitting in the same spot. So uh, anyways, kind of hit it off with him and really went down the rabbit hole on uh, public land hunting and really now have a passion for it. I'd rather spend more money on gear and hunt public land for just the cost of our license and a wildlife management uh, license than pay to be in a club or a lease and be, you know, stuck with, you know, a thousand acres or 2000 acres. Um, so that's kind of me. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a gear junkie by heart. I will say this right at the beginning of the podcast having the most expensive, nicest gear will not make, will not allow you to kill bigger deer. Okay. It's fun <laughs> to have. It might make you get a little more confident in it, but I know some old timers that killed big deer every year using this like a summit climber. Okay. So, uh, i just want to say it right now, but if you're a gear junkie, uh, I think this podcast is going to be for you. Yeah.
0: 100%. And, and, uh, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I'm still, when I, uh, when I go back at home and hunt with my dad, sometimes we have the, some preset stands still and, man, some of those things have been up there. We move them, we check them every year, you know, we change the, the ratchet straps or whatever, but man, some of those things, uh, I'm like that we got to get something new, at least even if it's the cheaper end, just something a little bit better. So it's not creaking now. I haven't hunted out of those in a while, but man, like you said, those old school guys, they, they're they still uh, even be like, I'm going to go up and build one. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about, man?
1: Exactly. And, you know, kind of growing up, we were, you know, kind of growing up, uh, I got into hunting through my uncles, um, if it's kind of my story, I didn't get into hunting for my, 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 father, my father is not a big outdoorsman at all. Um, so I got in, uh, to hunting through my uncles, my mom's brothers, okay. uh, who are diehard hunters, but, uh, you know, they kind of grew up in the Southeast. It was very common back in the eighties, uh, in a lot of States that allowed dog hunting and it was kind of the thing back then. Uh, and then, you know, they became good deer hunters, just kind of being a better woodsman and learned a lot from them kind of growing up. But, uh, yeah, you know, we were hunting, you know, ladder scenes. big old ladder scenes has been there for years. And like you said, changing straps out, you know, the sketchiest little, um, uh, well, I forgot the name of the lock. on. It's not like a, You know, everyone says a lock-on tree stand, which is actually a brand, but a lot of people call, you know, any hang-on stand a lock-on. But we had these little buck stands uh, from this little company called Buck Tree Stands. And, man, we hunted out those, and they were terrible. Like (laughs) a wooden seat, uh, you know, just expanded metal, steel, uh, tiny little platforms. And that's what we hunted out for a long time. And um, I got to the point, I'm like, you know what? There's got to be something better out there. I started looking at some of these cast stands, uh, aluminum stands back in uh, like around 2013 or 14 and just dove off the deep end from there. Yeah, man. I know
0: too, my dad's been using the same lone wolf climber for, man, like, 10 years I want to say at least and I remember when he got that and and it was like you know the most innovative thing and he's like (laughs) man my lone wolf my," you know and it was and uh so I even to this day I'm like you better get a new belt for that sucker he's like yeah and so he's ordering one of those bad boys up but uh man he loves it you know at, at at 59 years old he's still cracking climbing up and down the tree and during archery season and stuff and rifle season though he's he he's living the life because he has the the one that it's like a 22 24 inch ladder but then it's the 360 degree mm-hmm. swivel chair and all that type of stuff so he he lives it up when it's when it gets really cold out back at home but yeah man it's it's cool stuff now you know jacob talk to i want to break into um you know everybody knows uh right now a lot of people start podcasts a lot of people do the youtube stuff and which is fantastic it just branches everybody out and it gets us too. I mean, one of the main things is if I'm able to talk hunting <laughs> every week of the year, man, that's, that's phenomenal for me, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure it feels the same for you, but talk a little bit about why you branched out and began to put videos out, why you began the podcast, just to, you know, bring our listeners to that. Cause I, I like to hear that, especially somebody that's been doing it and has success with it.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting story. You know, one thing that got me and Andrew interested in doing it, uh we were in 2017, uh, we were heading out on our first western trip, which we're about to go back. You actually see the mule deer right behind yeah. me that we shot on that trip. And uh we went to Wyoming and when we were going out there, we listened to a bunch of podcasts. We're like, man, you know, at the time there wasn't a bunch of shows, you know, covering, you know, the southern part of the United States. And we were listening to a bunch of different shows on the way out there. Um, and we were thinking, I'm like, you know, me and Andrew are not the greatest hunters by any means, but we're very interested in talking with very experienced guys and getting their perspective, you know, guys that, you know, you know, are twice our age or older uh, just trying to learn from them because there's so many people out there that, uh, you know, just, there are local guys that, other people don't know about and uh we knew a lot of those guys at the time and we're like you know man it would be awesome to start a show and interview some of these people to get on the show and get these perspectives and we we didn't know what we were doing you know we started out uh just doing what we could i remember (laughs) the first episode we ever recorded I actually recorded. I bought this laptop I'm using right now for the show uh, because we could do some editing and everything on there. And I remember recording it uh, using the software Audacity, and I had some like old uh, 3.5 millimeter like iPhone headphones, and I had it plugged in and we kept getting ear interference because it was rubbing up against my uh, (laughs) up against my facial hair and i had to tape it to my face i still get that photo of taping the mic up against my face just so it it would sound okay and i mean it just went on from there uh you know we started getting more and more traction uh interviewing better guys and really getting comfortable interviewing people because it it takes some time Uh, it's, it's really hard for someone to jump into it and uh and feel comfortable interviewing somebody and also just being interviewed back its exactly the same way. Um, and once we started doing that, we've had the the thought process, like, man, it'd be fun to start filming hunts and, and try to get into that. And, you know, I went off the, I, I dove head first in that and spend way more money on equipment than I should have. <laughs> um, Andrew, when he, when you he heard how much I had spent on just being dumb, I'm like, Oh man, I gotta have the best thing, you know, went out, bought, you know, the best camera I could afford the, the most, you know, the best mic on the, on the uh, planet and all this other kind of crazy stuff. Just to find out, I'm like, man, we are not recording a TV show. You don't need that. Just go and have something that's fun. You know, you don't need a giant camera that, you know, is a hassle getting in and out of the woods. But we started filming hunts uh that following year, so fall of twenty eighteen. Um, had some success with it. It was fun, it was challenging. And uh, started the YouTube channel at that time too. And just, you know, our thought was, you know, we're gonna put some hunts up there, you know, we're gonna, you know, maybe try to do some some gear stuff because we, we like talking gear um, really just morphed until that following January, we went to ATA for the first time, which is a killer experience. You know, a lot of guys, um, myself included, this is our second year to go. And, um, definitely it's tiresome when you're there and you're interviewing a lot of people, uh, not really just for the show, but you're just filming a whole bunch and talking to diff- different people the whole time. It's a lot. And it's a lot of stuff going on in a very short period of time. And, uh, you know, we, our eyes are open to kind of seeing, you know, what that side of the quote unquote industry is like. And, uh, when we went to ATA the first time it blew our minds and we went to the, uh, Badlands film festival, uh, which I think was, uh, that Friday night or, maybe, yeah, Friday night and, uh, blew our minds to the quality of these videos that these guys are putting out there to be in the, the film festival. And it was just unbelievable. And we started dropping videos of, you know, new procs coming out and everything like that. And it was interesting because at the time, uh, I had started the running gun whitetail hunters page, uh, or group on Facebook, uh, the fall of 2017. Okay. And really started diving deep with some of these different companies trying to figure out, you know, some stuff that's coming out and kind of, you know, letting people know about it ahead of time. And, uh, I remember we went and, uh, I went over to the Hawk booth and, uh, Chris Duncan, the uh, marketing manager for uh, GSM, who's the uh, kind of kind of parent company of like Hawk and Muddy and I think B- Big Game Tree Stands, uh, went over there and we were talking with him. I was like, man, what is this? And I saw the Hawk sticks and they had that little suction the cup suction on cup, them. yep, yep. And uh, I was like, man, I'm like, this is a cool idea. I'm, I'm like, you know, for stacking and everything and man. We did the little video on that, uh, which kind of blew up along with the lone, wolf, uh, custom gear, uh, stands and sticks at the time. And, uh, I pulled him over to the side. I was like, man, y'all need to cut these bad boys down like in half. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I have, I think at the time on the run gun page, I think we only had maybe 3,500 people on there. And, uh, I was like, man, there are guys out there like cutting, tw- you know, 10, 15 inches off these sticks just to make them smaller and more compact. You know, they're not worried about getting so high or they're using eighters. He's like, okay, we'll we'll look into it and come to find out one of their um – I think it's one of their, uh, engineers joined the running gun page. I still don't know who he is, yeah. but he started taking notes and stuff. I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. And they came out with those mini sticks this year, uh, which I like the preference on this podcast. Um, we are not sponsored by anybody. <laughs> I pay for all my stuff. I might get some stuff sent to me if I do I always talk about it. Um, but yeah, we're not paid by anybody. Uh, and if we get free stuff, i i talk about it. like, Okay. Yeah. They, they sent us some stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was kind of interesting seeing that, uh, kind of come to fruition, but, uh, ATA really opened our minds because you kind of saw behind the scenes of, you know, some of these people you might've seen on television and all these different companies and everything. And you see how the down to earth people are, um, uh, which is fun. And again, you know, when it comes to being a podcast, you know, there's so many podcasts out there. I right. think, I I listened to Joe Rogan and uh, I think they talked about there was like, I think last time they checked it was like 980,000 podcasts just yep. in the United States alone. Yeah. Uh, and you know, they're not all hunting podcasts, but it's just, it's just outrageous. But uh, we've slowly grown the show and it's, it's exciting now because we got listeners, uh, you know, throughout the country and I think six different countries as well. That's great. You know, outside of the United States. But uh, it's been a crazy journey, dude. I'll be a hundred percent honest.
0: Yeah. It's nuts. I mean, for, I mean, like you were saying, even before we went live about, you know, you're single, you're living it up and, You know, I, my side of things, it's, I, man, it's tough sometimes. Like even just now before and just getting down, like we start usually this time frame just so I could say goodnight to my daughter. And, you know, sometimes she's like still raring to go and I'm like, "Ah, sorry, baby. You know, and I'm like, I got to keep telling my wife and uh, her, I'm like, listen, during this whole COVID thing, I'm like, we've been shut down since March. I'm like, if I could just go downstairs for an hour and a half, talk to some hunting buddies, like, let me go. (laughs) I'm with you guys Mm -hmm. all damn day. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's awesome. And, uh, it is a lot because I think for me personally, like I said, I'm a school teacher. I love what I do, but man, this is my passion. Like I just have that, like, I'm like two face, you know what I mean? That one side of me is that professional side. And that other side is just like, I just want to ooze out as much, uh, hunting and whatever else I love, uh, to do like, and that's, that's in, in doing this. And, uh, so man, it's, it's been, like you said, it's a whirlwind. We're just still, man, we just started in January and, uh, as far as the podcast goes and I, I love it. I look forward to talking to new people and, uh, like meeting people. I, I'm, I'm like, you know, when I go to parties, I'm like the social butterfly, you know, it's just, uh, so it's, it's fun. It's, it's, uh, it's been pretty, pretty cool.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. You know, that's one thing that, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, while recording the show is, um. You know, we're not the greatest hunters and we talk about that all the time. I me and Andrew, are both are true students of the game. We want to become better woodsmen. We want to become better hunters. And that's why we like to interview these guys and yeah. and really dive deep on questions that, you know, really a lot of people overlook. A lot of people think deer hunting is just basic. There's so much to it that makes a good, you know, a true good deer hunter and woodsman that gets missed so often uh, when it comes down to the nitty gritty, you know, you meet so many guys. We just recorded a show last night with it's Andrew's mentor, uh, Mr. Ben George and um, unbelievable woodsman, but. He knows so much, he he breezes over things. You're like, whoa, 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 bring it back, bring <laughs> yeah. it back, dude. Like it's second nature to him. And There's so many guys like that out there, which, you know, I find fascinating because I want to listen to them and I want to learn from them. You know, I want to become a better outdoorsman. I want to become a better hunter and a better woodsman, um, and you know, that's one thing I love about the show is kind of getting that uh, that aspect through people and uh, also just meeting new people and having a good time. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, It's been amazing. Yeah, well,
0: let's talk a little bit about that too, Jacob, because you brought up a great good point. And, you know, down south, it's, it's different as far as how you guys got to hunt and, and, like, when the rut kicks in for you guys and all that. Talk a little bit about, like, where you feel like maybe the switch happened. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, mm-hmm. I feel like the switch happened for me I would say about four years ago, and it's continued to kind of to blossom, basically, I, I would say, uh, and just learning and failing and and learning from those better experiences, I would say, rather than just being stuck in the mud of what you were taught when you're 12 years old. You know what I mean? Um, on. Yeah. So like, talk a little bit about, I guess, how you made that little light bulb go off and like what, you, what changed, whether it's from uh, the tactics, the habitat, maybe that you were talking about going from the private to public. And then also even if gears play has played a role in that as well.
1: Yeah. I'll say the biggest thing is, um, you know, I have no issue, uh, you know, hunting some private land. If I get access to I love right. door knocking, uh, especially when I lived in Tennessee, I I've, I had access to this unbelievable property. <laughs> uh South of Nashville is an urban property, about 40 acres. And it was Man, I'd do anything to get back up there, but too bad it's <laughs> developed right now. Uh, they actually put houses on it. Um, it was ridiculous. But um, the biggest thing I learned was when I went from hunting private land where there's a lot of green fields, like kind of this people are listening to the show that maybe aren't from the Southeast. You know, we uh, the Southeast is a lot of timber company, it's a lot of longleaf pines and it's a lot of loblolly pines. Um, and a lot of the properties, especially if you're a leasing property or in a hunting club, that's what a lot of it is. You might have some creek drainages or SMZs, uh, stream management zones that go up into those uh, into that cover, but um, it, it's challenging, especially if you're not used to not hunting like greenfields it's greenfield hunting is such a big thing down here, uh, and getting out and becoming a better woodsman and learning what you're looking for. And I get, I'll be honest, you know, I'm, I'm still not the greatest woodsman at all. Andrew is so much better than me when it comes to looking at stuff and, and really picking stuff out. But, um, the biggest thing was going away from hunting private property, uh, you know, where we had shooting houses, we had, uh, like box blinds, we had uh, ladder stands and we kind of talked about a little bit ahead of time. Um, it was so different when I was using a climber hunting all my be- you know, hunting off my back, walking in to stuff I've never been to before. And, uh, you know, I took some advice from my uncles and they're, they're all about hunting SMZs or these stream management zones that run up in these short pines and I started hunting that and started having some action. Um, but I started noticing myself early on, especially that first year hunting public, first year hunting public, it was crazy. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, man. I remember the first time I thought I was out in public land. I didn't have, you know, I didn't even know what Onyx was at the time. Um, it wasn't really even a thing in this area of the country from what I knew. I didn't know anybody that used it. And, uh, you know, we had paper maps and I had Google earth and I'm like trying to line up, you know, paper map has no terrain on it. It is right. just a paper map with borders and, uh, you know, road names. And I'm like trying to look at, it. I remember I left work one night and, uh, driving down this road. And, uh, I was like, man, I, I thought I was on public. Because I, was <laughs> to find out I was about five miles off public and uh, it's like 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, I'm, I'm looking around, I mean, there's all these big old white oaks and, and uh, all these red oaks like right on the road. I'm like, man, this looks awesome. Big hardwoods. And then, uh, I went back in a couple days later and I'm like, oh, this is, this is private. I mean, it's got no trespassing signs. I'm like, where the crap am I? And, uh, you know, that transition, was immense. It, it was very difficult at first, kind of figuring out where I wanted to go. And in my first year, it was oh, there's my there's my neighbor with his motorcycle. <laughs> um, my first year, it was very much like, you know, very timid hunting, you know, very much like, you know, didn't really want to dive in real far, um, you know, kind of hunting close to the truck, which can be successful sometimes. And I didn't kill a deer that year, but I had more fun than ever because I saw so many deer. Uh, one thing about Alabama, we have fairly high deer numbers. I mean, actually really high deer numbers compared to some other States, but it's so thick in these areas. It's very, very difficult. Um, to really see them especially where they're going come like firearm season we have a very very long firearm season it normally starts at uh normally roughly around the 21st of november and runs all the way through as of last year february 10th um now public land is a little bit different you know if you're hunting wildlife management areas they have very designated hunts for rifles for firearms uh which are mostly on the weekends uh, so you have to bow hunt if you don't bow hunt you're not hunting very much um uh, you know while on wildlife management areas down here um, that's what i started hunting quite a bit so that was very very challenging and then kind of going to year two that's when i met andrew and uh, started running some trail cameras and started kind of finding some better sign and uh, killed my first buck on public land that year and i think it was a it was like a gnarly looking five point man I was so jacked up um shot with my bow on a morning hunt uh just going off the map i looked at the map and uh found out onyx from andrew i was like man this looks like a cool spot right this big power line where a couple of drain just kind of came together just these rolling hills and right i walked in there in the dark didn't know where i was at man i'm looking <laughs> at the phone and i'm like you know i think at the time i had like a iPhone three or iPhone four and surface is terrible. The GPS on the app was terrible. I'm like, I don't know where I'm at. I just step around the edges of the point and that little buck came down that drainage and, and shot him like at 25 yards. He ran 30 yards and it was awesome. That's,
0: um, that's I, I, what I love about that story too, is like you said, once you, the work that you put in and that initial of like, man, I did it. I put, I pieced things together that I was working on or that I wanted to work on and get better at. And that success
1: happens. Dude, that's like the best feeling in the world. For sure. And, you know, all the guys I talk to that that hunt public land, myself included, is, um, you know, when you do it and you are successful at it, it's so rewarding. Um, Again, I have no issue, you know, people hunting private land. You know, again, if I knock on doors, I find some awesome private land, I'll be hunting it. Now, I'm not paying to hunt it, but um, if I can get some access, I'm all about it. But um, it's something about when you have you're hunting private land or hunting public land. There's other guys out there, especially if it's something that you're very green at, especially the area you're at, and just going in, seeing deer, it gets it gets me fired up. And then you know, as kind of years progress, we get a little bit better, a little bit better at it. It started having more encounters with bigger bucks and and kind of understanding. and, And I talk about this all the time on the show. Now, where we're at, my personal opinion. A big buck, like a, a like a great buck, is 125 inch, eight point or ten point. I'm like, dude, that's that's a great deer. That's an awesome deer. Yeah. You start getting above that, you start getting, you know, pushing that over 135 inches. That's like that is a that's a that's a huge buck yep. for me. Yeah. I know guys that hunt Alabama that kill big deer like that every year. You know, 135 plus inch deer bigger. But um, and there's something that hunt kill a lot bigger deer than that on public, but starting having some of those encounters that year two, I had with about 130 inch eight point big deer and came right into me. And uh, that was actually the first year I started using sticks and stands. Um, that previous year, the first year in public, I was using a, a, a climber, it was an old summit. Uh, they don't make the modeling more. It had like this really weird sit bar that was like a leg rest. It was, was kind of complicated, but uh, it, it got me in the tree. And that, uh, that second year for Christmas, and we talked about this before, you know, my, my thought process between, um, you know, budget equipment back when I was in college versus now has completely changed back then. You know, I I think I spent $450. I had to save it for a while working and while going through school, um, to pay for my alpha lone wolf alpha two stand and stick combo. And I, you know, bought it for myself for Christmas and, uh, that opened my eyes to how versatile something like that can be. Right. And, you know, there are so many times, you know, around here, it's very, very common in the Southeast for guys to use climbers. Um, it's actually more common for guys to be using climbers in a sticks and stand setup, which I think now that's now changing just a little bit. Um, but I saw the versatility with it and we started hunting places that you couldn't get a climber in and we started seeing more and more bucks and getting more encounters. And that 130 inch eight point that came by, I freaking smoked a little sapling that was <laughs> sitting right there in front of him. Uh, right when the, you know, the light was kind of dimming down. I was like, crap. And, you know, he just kind of like walked off. Um, but, uh, it, that really opened my eyes to the versatility, you know, if I had a climber, I would have had to sit out, sit on the ground in that spot. And what it was, it was a, uh, it was an, an SMZ stream management zone that ran along this itty Creek. And there was another SMZ that kind of went to the, I guess it p2 like the Southwest. So this Creek kind of ran North to South and this um, drainage went to Southwest up into this cut, this old, uh, uh, right at the time, they were probably six to seven year old ponds. Okay. Um, and this buck was working right down that drainage and there was nowhere to get a climber in there. All the, all the oaks they left are all scrubby. I mean, I think I was maybe eight feet up in a tree at that time, uh, which was all I needed. I mean, it was perfect cover. Uh, but I was like, man, that light went off in my head. I'm like, this is where, you know, having a versatile setup can really pay dividends if you can make the shot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How about it? Well then, because what's crazy though is, you know, the last people been hunting out of a saddle for years and uh you know now it's it's like i'll be hunting out of the saddle for this upcoming season for the first time so i've been trying to practice as much as i possibly can and man just even while i'm in the tree practicing, i'm like holy cow i'm already thinking of certain areas on on either public land and private land that i have the the opportunity to hunt where i'm like that one little spot where it might be a little bit too thick where Walking in, I could have brushed up on stuff. I'm like, now I just legit walk right in with a small pack and boom, right up I go. And like the versatility of of the, of a saddle.
1: Yeah, that brings up an excellent point. And um, that clicked for me back in 2018 when Tether launched. uh, We were talking with, uh, me and Andrew were talking with uh, Greg Godfrey at the time. And uh, we ordered uh, two different mana saddles. One for me, one for him, and along with the platforms and everything. And, uh, you know, at the time I was still using a, that, uh, alpha stand and, and sticks from lone wolf and th- it was great. Um, you know, there was times when we were hunting real thick stuff and started getting into more hunting thick cover that, that stand, which, you know, I'm a bigger dude, uh, not height wise, just width wise. <laughs> and, uh, walking through the, walking through some of that thick cover, you would brush up against that, you know, cast aluminum, which is more quiet than like tube aluminum, but still it would make some noise. And you're like, crap, man. So the whole saddle idea was like, man, this is kind of interesting by my, like, you know, when I first looked at saddles, I was the dude, I was the biggest denier. I'm talking to I talk crap about them. I, you probably can go find a post on run gun page about me talking crap <laughs> about them before I use them. Uh, I thought they were unsafe. They weren't comfortable and there's no way you can sit in that for like a, any kind of period of time. So I got the manis. kind of learned how to use it. The first hunt I ever sat in that thing, I did not have it adjusted correctly. And I think, uh it was uh, Taylor Chamberlain uh, over with uh, yep. Hunter Urban Bow Hunter, yeah. and and Tether. He made fun of me at ATA because I told him that story and uh, I had it way up my back. You know, instead of having it like at your belt line, like you should when you're wearing most people, when they wear saddles, you know, you like to have it, like right your be- your, uh, your belt line. I had it, three four inches above it okay i'm sitting in this tree dude and it's like giving me like this wedgie it was terrible i didn't have a platform i was i was standing on the top of a single lone wolf step from the stick okay and then i had one screw and step and we were on some private land using it and it was terrible it was raining on me dude it, it was so uncomfortable and I, I called greg i was like man this thing's what is this what is going on and he's like oh dude you don't have it adjusted correctly. And i finally adjusted it um on the next hunt i was like okay this is good but where I was getting as the versatility, I started using it more and more because at first I was like, man, I'm going to still use my stand. You know, I'll do like 50-50. But after a couple of hunts and getting comfortable with it and kind of understanding, you know, my uh, how to get shots off and how to move in it, it opened my eyes that I can wear this thing in with a small backpack and my climbing system, which at the time was some sticks strapped to my backpack and be so much more quieter walking in and it's so much easier for me to set up than having to deal with the stand and kind of you know hold that stand on the tree Um, but we had a hunt on or i had a hunt on that uh, private parcel i was telling you about on the south side of uh, nashville some urban property down dude (laughs) it was an old it was old. what it was it was old cattle farm um that was surrounded by houses and it had this little creek that ran through and so it's all like you know, overgrown pasture and, uh, just briars and blackberry. And there was some old tree lines that ran on it. And dude, it was like, it was ridiculous. This is the closest thing I've ever thought about like hunting Midwest deer. Cause I mean, they're just coming through that th- real thick stuff and you're just hunt- trying to hunt these individual trees out in the middle of nothing. Yeah. And they'd come by and they use them as landmarks. And, uh, I shot a really cool jacked up, uh, nine point out there. Um, and, uh, got, got him on camera. It was, it was really awesome, but I got in a tree of course, people can't really see us right now, but, um, the tree was probably about five and a half to six inches in diameter. It was on that fence row. And, uh, I walked up, there it was a kind of a blind hunt. I knew where I wanted to go. I kind of knew what the trees looked like. And I'm like, I probably can't get the stand in there. So I'm going to take the saddle. I go in. And this thing is all twisted up. Dude there's limbs coming off everywhere. And there's no good tree to get in. Yeah. I don't know what kind of these tre- I don't know what these trees were, but they're real branchy. I mean, it would go up, you know, five feet and just branches splitting everywhere and like big V's in it. And uh, I got I think I, I think I got to the platform was seven feet. Okay, to my platform and got my tether set up and this tree's all wonky i'm leaning weird it, it's it's crazy but there's plenty of cover all around me i get up and it starts raining on me drizzling out looking in front of me and what it was it was like a big x in on this property so you think of a 40 acre parcel there's uh two different uh pits rows that came together and made this x and i was sitting right in the middle of it uh, by this big fence gap that they would kind of work through i looked up there's a deer in front of me and all of a sudden all these bucks start popping up over the hill just <laughs> down by the creek from me out of this that kind of crp stuff and i'm like i'm freaking out filmed this real big deer. And, uh, long story short, one of the bucks runs a doe right by me and he's grunting and everything. It was a little buck. And then this other buck came by and I spun around and shot him like seven and a half feet off the ground, dude. And he never dude that the, they never knew what hit him. He never even saw me. The does never saw me. He was fantastic. And I was like, there is no way I would have killed that deer if I was in a stand. Cause you could not get a stand in that tree. It right. was wicked.
0: Yeah. That's unbelievable. That's, and that's the thing again, like I'm super, super pumped about. And you you check off those those boxes right the the crazy trees that you could get in the the quietness just because of the less packability but the other thing too that you t- touched upon was the how quick you could get set up and you know you, you watch videos online and and people that do and they're like I could get up in nine minutes and they they time it and they do and you know obviously they're not maybe setting up with their camera gear which takes a little bit longer and all that stuff but the one thing for me was okay if I'm if I'm teaching. I got to teach last block during the day, man, I want to get out and get out as quick as I possibly can. That was like the selling point where it was like, okay, I don't have to lug all that stuff to work with me anymore. I could just pack up, walk, like quick, throw the saddle on, walk in, hit my spot on Onyx that I've kind of hopefully scouted out beforehand and get up a tree. And that's mm-hmm. like quick and simple and easy. So that was like the other major selling point for me.
1: Yeah. And I will, I will say this right now as well. Um, I am, there's a lot of guys out there that it's like saddle hunting or nothing. I still don't believe that. There's right. times that I found trees you can't get a saddle. I mean, you can get a saddle in there but you're not making a shot unless you're spun 180 degrees around the tree and it's not super comfortable being like that. For me, everybody's yep. a little bit different. Yep. Um, so there is, there is times hunting down here when you're hunting short pines, you know, pines that are, five sixes in diameter uh where there's a ton of limbs on it. you can't cut the limbs off you cut the limbs off you have no cover and you <laughs> right. and you're hunting six to eight feet off the ground in these old cuts um a lock on is like the ticket there but in most other situations for most guys what they're gonna be running into a saddle is fantastic this cause it's so uh, a lot of people think and i'm, I'm not a speed guy i don't I'm not worried about how quick I get up a tree. I want to be quiet. That's all I care about. Um, you know, speed means nothing. I see guys all the time. Oh man, I come up a tree and hang my stuff up in five, six minutes. And I'm like, okay, can you do it quietly though? Right. I, mean, I know I know some guys that can run up a tree, especially you man, you use some climbing spikes or something, you can be up a tree quick. I'm like, can you do it quietly? Uh and again, I'm not the quietest guy out there. I'm not <laughs> the stealthiest guy out there, but I try I try to be as quiet as possible. And uh that is so key. But the cool thing is when you're hunting out of a saddle, you got less metal to possibly mm-hmm. brush up against thick cover or uh, you know, clang on your sticks while you're going up the tree, or if you're using steps. One thing I started using as well back in twenty eighteen, and I used man, I've got it's a common method on the market for the most part, I've got it. Now there's a couple that just came out. I don't have yet. So I will, I will say like the new, uh, uh, timber Ninja, um, sticks. I do not have those yet. The carbon fiber sticks. Um, but I started using the silent approach steps. Uh, those, uh, injection molded plastic steps and, uh, they're tough as heck and they're super compact and I can get with 12 of them. Um, I can get 22 feet to the 23 feet to a platform uh, nice. pretty easily. Um, and I started using that as well because it's even smaller. And I mean, I could literally, if I wasn't filming, I could literally take those steps in, which are on like a, it's, they're in like an individual little bag with all the steps in it and it's on a strap. So you can wear it over your shoulder, have your bow in one hand, your pull-up rope, and then your platform attached to your saddle and you're good to go. Right. Uh, and they're quiet. That's what I liked about them. There's, there's less. Now they got a little, a little, little bitty uh, can buckle on there, but uh, the steps, you know, you jangle the steps together. It sounds like a black rack, yeah. uh, rattling handlers. Yeah. Um, and dude, that was huge for me, just, again, just trying to be quiet and get as close to some of the deer as possible. Cause you know in certain places they don't move a whole bunch. I mean, they'll stand up and they can feed like one thing special about the Southeast is the cover that they bed in, which a lot of these times, what, what we found out were, you know, between five and a half to eight and a half year old cutovers, uh, or clear cuts as some people call them. You know, you come in they cut all the trees out and it's this, uh, regeneration growth, uh, where they plant pines and everything back in there. When they're in there, they can stand up. A buck can stand up. He could feed in like a fifteen-yard uh, area, and you could never see that deer, dude. And he can bed back down. He's got food, water, everything in there. Yeah, it's not like he's got to get up and go two hundred yards to go feed on some oaks. He does not have to. Um, so, getting close to him and staying quiet is is key. Absolutely key.
0: And that's the thing, man. What's what's so fun is just the the, the hear what your style of hunting. What you guys got to do. And the thing that I had success success with this past year was looking at the map on. Uh, so there's private. There's a private mountain that I hunt back at home that I usually maybe go three four days, uh, and the rest is like where I live here in central Pennsylvania, and I'll hunt with with Dimitri and we go out and and try to do our thing. And if no buck, you know, presents itself as that time gets closer when when the rut hits, I'll go home. Uh, however, I'll, I do put a lot of time scouting that area and when I was looking into things I kept looking at the map and and putting boots on the ground I'm like dad I'm like you know this place like the back of your hand like you've been hunting here since for the last 31 years and he's like yeah and I said well I want to get a little bit lower from where we are at I said just because man I, I said when you look at it there's a lake nearby down there I said they I could cross the people's yards and there's there's a, a a field and there's a road there but the road is not it's like a dead end road. So only mm-hmm. the people that live there are driving on that road. I said, so they go back and forth to these fields. I said, and then when they like, I don't get a picture of a deer on my camera until October. Once the deer start migrating back up and you know, farmers are taking down whatever in that field. So they start coming up the mountain. And I said, I want to get as low as I possibly can. And mm-hmm. man, on, on, we put out a trail camera. I, the first day that I went in there to one morning, I, I was setting up and i could hear like rustling going around with some chasing and all that kind of stuff i didn't even have time to set up my, my camera gear because i already shot like it was just that friggin' fast but then we pulled we i said to my dad i said when i shot an hour later jacob a bigger buck walked by no care in the world zombie mode just like right walk, legit walked right where i shot the buck an hour before so mm-hmm. i'm waiting for my dad to come down and then i said listen you get in here tomorrow he saw uh one early and i think one at like because he did an all-day sit uh and then i said pull the camera there and let's just take a look so he pulled it he put in another memory card and there were a few different deer on there but then we let it soak all through rifle season and we pulled it there were deer coming up coming down and all different holy cow man if if half of these deer survive. We, we could be in for a really fun season hopefully again just because it, a, an area where we haven't really hunted a lot it was just this past year and i think too kind of figured out a little bit more of where they're coming and going basically compared to like hey we're in a decent spot we always saw deer and if a doe comes by yeah a buck might come through you know what i mean mm-hmm. so like now i feel like we finally hit the ticket of this past spring when i went in a couple of weeks ago actually even in in june we look and there's just like trails everywhere you could still see scrapes and and all this type of stuff so we set out a couple more cameras just because just a little bit more intel even for next year not necessarily for this upcoming season just to see which way and all that type of stuff so it's it's fascinating man i love it
1: yeah i've got to ask because i'm very curious now with yeah. this spot what makes it so special for the deer to come through out there is there anything is it terrain is it habitat Is it I, it's kind of- it's
0: honestly it's the terrain um mm-hmm. it's so this property when you look at it it's four just shy of four thousand acres Ooh, it's huge yeah. dude it's it's massive and when you look at it like my dad and i we had a conversation with um some other individuals actually this past week and they were asking about it and i said when he goes, well, how many people belong to that? And my dad's like, man, 50, you know? And then the guy was like, how many people hunt it? And my dad's like, well, you know, a few And my dad. And then the individual asked then how many archery hunt it. And I turned and looked at him. I said, probably less than 10. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And, And when you look at it, they, they root, everybody's spread out. So like where we are, there's during archery season, it's just us. Like there's not another soul on that whole area. So hunting is actually difficult for the sole fact that like these deer are not pressured. So Mm -hmm. if you are not in their zone, their area, you won't see them like they're ghosts. Mm -hmm. And, but, and, uh, so it's, it's a lot different where they're not, even during gun season, they're not being pressured as much. You know what I mean? It's not like an orange army is walking through like on public land. Um, but man, there's ridges upon ridges. There's the habitat. There's the, Uh, like I said, nearby, especially on our side, there is the opportunity for them to have water close by. There's the little, I would say 15 to 20 houses that, that are far down um, where they have access to. So man, it's, and really other than black bear and coyotes, there's no other predators and it's not like loaded with coyotes. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. deer are surviving and uh, it's, it's awesome to, to, to have that opportunity to go back home. Cause it, like I always tell my dad, I'm like, man, I, it'd be so tough to see a public land, nice eight pointer. Like even the one that's right behind me here. I'm like, if I saw that on public land, I'm shooting that.
1: Yeah. That deer's in the ground. Yeah. In front it, of me. <laughs>
0: right. You know what I mean? And then there's that other opportunity where it's like, man, but there could be that tank <laughs> walking by just because deer could get old. I mean, there, we both seen zombie deers where, Uh, Man, it'd be late and uh, one one story. My dad was hunting. It was a freak snowstorm. It was end of oct. No, it was actually early November, and he he for my dad to tell this, you could you know what I mean? It, it, It really hit hard in a sense. He's like, I'm. I was up in the stand. He goes, I just heard crunching from the from the little bit of the snow, and he goes, I turn around and look. He goes, and I I thought I saw a cow. (laughs) <laughs> like like a, just a bull walk. And I'm like, what? He's like, he go, he called me and you could hear it in his voice, like after this encounter. He goes, he was about 80 yards walking, Jar. He goes, he's walking up the ridge. He goes, I, I about fell out of a tree stand, grunting, yelling, like just as much as I can. He goes, and he just kept going. He goes, he goes, the rack was one of the biggest racks that he's ever seen. One in Pennsylvania. He goes, and two, he goes, the body on him. He goes, you would think he was a cow. And so, I mean, they have the opportunity to grow and, you know, they have everything they need uh, to, to survive. Cause like I said, they're not getting pressured. They have all the habitat in the world. Um, so it's, it, and there's not a lot of people.
1: Yeah. Oh no. I mean, that that's, that's kind of really interesting. You know, my thing, anytime I hear somebody like that, it's like, you know, oh yeah, we went into the, we went into a place, especially on private land where, They've always hunted one spot and they're like, okay, yeah, I moved just a couple hundred yards down. Maybe there's like a little drainage that went down on the side of the ridge or something. And then that's where all the sign was. And it's yep. like, we've been hunting the wrong spot for so long, or the deer are just accustomed to pressure being up there and they just move in a different area where you never see them. And you might be hunting. And this happened to me growing up because I learned this on our little family farm. It's 89 acres. You know, we hunt these certain spots and, you know, you'd always see deer, but it always felt like, they they always knew where the pressure was. Yeah, uh, you know where you're set up, whether you're in a, in a shooting house or like a box blind or like a you know ladder scene, anything like that. They kind of knew what was up. Um, you know, especially you know if you had any kind of swirling wind, which we're in, there's tourists to have down here in the southeast. Um, but w- after we started hunting public land, uh, me and Andrew, I went back out there, and there's this one part of the property that's right next to the road. I'm talking like so. There's a old farmhouse on, on the property that uh my uncle used to live in as well, and it you know they still uh they still use it, but behind the farmhouse uh, is this like old creek drainage right there and, you know it'll run water if we have rain for a little while It's spring fed but it's very lightly spring fed um as in it's not just rushing down but we get some rain in there and it grows up really thick next to the road and he used to have like a, tr- a camper back there and some other piece of equipment and i haven't been in there you know a couple of years this is only 89 acres this is a small property and i'm like man i'm gonna go over there and scout and there's, it's right adjacent to this place that he always would call the rock garden, which is, it's a part of the property where it's has got this really deep drainage and deep around here, by the way, I don't know what it is like with y'all. I think we hunt it on average, like 300 foot of elevation. So you have more than 50 feet of elevation. That's, that's a, that's a, yeah. Yeah, a dip. That's a pretty, that's pretty solid, uh, at least in the central Alabama. Now you go to North Alabama, it's completely different. It's more, you know, kind of base of the Appalachian mountains. Um, but I went in there kind of scouting and I come to find out that there is uh, a buck bed that's right underneath this giant cedar, like out in the middle of like this overgrown old field. And I was like, there's rubs all around it. I mean, it's classic. I mean, yeah. he, I mean, you, you see like Dan Infall fall the hunting public. I was talk about it, where they found that buck bed and you can tell he's using it's worn to the ground, but there's all these rubs around there facing the bed. And I'm like, this is the spot. And, I mean, it is 65 yards off the road. If that, wow. um, and I mean, he's just in a spot that he can go across the road if he wants, which is, it's a, uh, it's a two lane highway yep. uh, or like county, it's a county road. Um, but it's no trouble for him to go across the road. Um, or he can slip up the backside of the property and you never see that deer. Yep. Um, uh, and it just opened my mind. I'm like, dude, we've been hunting this wrong the whole time. And he doesn't want to go and He's like, oh, it's a sanctuary. I'm like, that is crap, man. Dude. These deer are not staying on 89 acres. Yep.
0: And that's the thing too. Like, that's what, it's kind of breaking the, the mold of, even for my dad as well, because there's a spot where we've always hunted in that area. And man, like we do see deer. And the one thing too is where, when our If you're in this one specific tree and you're looking man it is thick as as all can be like you just think it you're it's those old school like um like horror cartoon movies when the trees are like intertwining like it looks like that and I'm thinking of my, because I've seen deer come out, I've seen deer go in, I could hear deer. Like the one morning, man, I I won't forget. It was two years ago. I get set up actually in the one tree, and it was like a grunt fest. Like it was so cool to listen. Like I like I wasn't filming yet, but I had like my phone out, like recording just to see if I could hear it because it was just grunting galore. And that's when I got the saddle and I was practicing like now. And I was like I said, I was thinking of places. I'm like, man, I want to just go in. 50, 70 yards past that tree and just get into all that thick stuff. Because I guarantee you, like, cause like you said about your uncle, like my dad's like, that's a sanctuary. we don't go in there. I'm like, dad, I'm telling you though, like, I guarantee if we go in there, we're going to be like finding rubs galore, like just trash. And he's like, ah, uh, I don't want to go in there. I'm like, all right, whatever.
1: So, so this has opened my eyes to a different tactic. I heard, I heard about this on the, um, the then there's so much to kind of unwrap from what we just talked about but um uh, i heard this on the untamed podcast when the guys went untamed on youtube and uh one of their buddies they run um they run bears with hounds over in western pennsylvania uh, when season comes in which is, i think they said it's normally like in september um which is also like right when deer season's about to come in and they were running running bears and he was running up the side of the mountain which is all public land and uh, all the dog kept running up and he like looks over and there's this giant buck that's bedded <laughs> right on this little point, dude. And it's like, he said, it's like a perfect little spot for him. He just like bail off the backside and he's like, I'm coming back. He came back in there with a cell camera, found his exit trail, just below that spot, put, hung the trail camera on there, uh, got back down. By the time he get back down to his four-wheeler down the base of the mountain, uh, he was already getting pictures of the deer. He padded that deer with that camera for five days, went back in and killed him on the very first sit. And it, it, I think it's a 172 inch deer. Wow. And it opened my eyes. I've never been like a cell camera guy ever, uh, really. Cause hunting public land, you know, the, the, the chance yeah. of having one stolen, I've never had a camera stolen, but there's always a chance, but I have, I will say this when you're hunting areas that most people aren't going to, you don't have to worry about your stuff. getting stolen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, but it opened my eyes cause I'm like, man, you find like one of these spots. It's like, almost like a, a lot of guys call them. So we've interviewed a guy named Josh driver from Kentucky. And he calls these areas like social hubs and thermal hubs where you have, you know, three or four ranges coming down into one spot off the side of a, a ridge or a mountain. And, uh, you know, an area that a buck's spending a lot of time, it might be at night, you might be cruising there at night, but you can hang a camera like that in there and you have an idea of what's going on in real time. Um, and I've thought about this, especially like on that little farm, my family's farm, which I, I haven't hunted out there in two years now. But in a spot like what I was saying, where I found that buck where he's spending a lot of time there, hanging that sale camera off on the exit trails back a little bit and just figuring out when he's using it how he's using it i think could help somebody especially on private land be extremely successful right Uh, and i know now if there's so many sale cameras out there for like i mean i think the spy point link micro is now like a hundred bucks you know at my local shops that uh the new uh, uh, reveal reveal.
0: yeah i did a video i posted that video on actually uh, did i throw that one on running gun I threw it on one of the either the running gun or on the the uh, cell film hunters page, one of the two, and man, it, again that was one I paid for full price, like a hundred bucks, and that thing has been really really sweet. I actually bought last year. I had the Moultrie one. I had a horrible horrible experience. I went through three of them till finally, like on the third one that I received back from them, I didn't even open it. I went to Cabela's. I was like, Hey, I got this for a birthday present. Could I just exchange it for some other stuff? I don't need it. They're like, did you open it? I was like, Nope, there's a seal. So I exchanged it, bought the stealth fusion, stealth cam fusion one. That's the one that I have actually now back at home. It's working. Okay. Um, The only thing, again, like I said, I don't get a lot of deer on that area until like, the, like fall starts hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only thing that worries me is the one day I had a bunch of pictures show up and it was from a couple days prior and I like re looked at my settings. I looked at everything else. I'm like, everything's right. Like as far as settings goes, but something tweaked there. And I set up the reveal around here and I really liked it so far. Um, so mm-hmm. I might either switch out and flip flop or do something. Cause I, like I told my dad, I'm like, man, I really want to get that reveal. At home, because again, like my thing is, I actually talked to uh, Josh Kirshner to dialed in Hunter about this the other day, uh, because he's going to be writing a piece about cell cams and stuff. And uh, he saw that I posted that video. So we're talking and uh, I said, Hey, man, I said, I'm not one to really a big proponent because I haven't had a lot of success with them yet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're fairly new. And you know, and I said, uh, I said, but man, this reveal one's pretty sweet. And I said, my main thing of using them is the the time factor because of having a family and like when i go to my dad's like i want to make sure like i'm giving it my all you know what i mean like that i'm putting in the time i'm doing all day sits so i want to see if too like if i could time it right more so than oh well the fifth the eighth looks good and I'm like i'm gonna do that but like if if hell if it's october 30th and 31st november 1st that deer are already up and moving and i could get that real time like you said intel like i'm i'll take off school i'll switch days and then i'll go (laughs) you know what i mean so that's oh yeah that's that's the kicker of of that and like you said public land it's a little bit more tough like well dimitri and i will put out a ton now and then once season's starting to come nearby we we actually remove a lot just because of stolen and what we just kind of want that little bit of intel of what's around and then we kind of dissect the maps a little bit and maybe put a puzzle together and uh, mm-hmm. go from there. That's usually our process.
1: So one thing that I'm going to do this year, which is different and this kind of clicked with me after listening to that, uh, the show with the untamed, I'm actually going to scout. And I brought this up to um, Andrew and our buddy, uh, Michael Pike that I'm going to actually start scouting with at least two cameras with me at all times. Yep. Or like when I, or if, when I'm hunting, I'm having two cameras in my backpack at all times. I'm thinking about possibly doing it with cell cameras. We're in early season, which, you know, we don't open here there's parts of Alabama this year opening October 1st, uh, okay. like really small parcels because they have a very early rut. Like their rut is actually in November, but special thing about Alabama on a side note, you can pretty much hunt rutting deer. If you're willing to travel on public land from like October, like uh, you can find, you know, bucks chasing those October 28th, all the way through February 10th when the season goes out, <laughs> if you're willing to travel right. uh, just throughout the whole state. So it's pretty awesome. <laughs> but, uh, early season when feeds on especially if you find like a really hot oak tree uh especially like a white oak or just even some of these red oaks that are right on the edge of some of these cuts down here where this real thick cover is if you find that hot feed sign, i want to hang a cell camera on there like asap i want to know when they're coming through what's going on and i feel like we could actually have a lot of success with that as long as it's an area that actually has cell signal that's one problem about some of the stuff we hunt you don't always have uh, a yeah. cell signal but uh i feel like that's going to be the awesome especially if you find an area um, coming towards the rut which the rut in the air that I'm in uh normally is like December 7th through like the 16th, give or take, like that's when it's on fire out here. Um, and if you find, you know, in mid to November, I'll spot that there's a ton of straights are popping up like in that thick cover. Now I don't, and I'm not gonna look at it if it's just wide open uh, timber, but I mean, if you can't see more than 15, 20 yards in it and there's a bunch of straights popping up, I wanna hang a sale camera on it quick. Cause I wanna see when they're coming through, what's coming through and what's going on. Um, and that's something I'm gonna try to start doing a little bit this year. Um, and i'm kind of excited about that again i kind of got that uh that thought just by listening to uh, the guys over at the untamed from their buddy kind of doing that and i'm like that is so smart you know hunts you know when i'm so i'm in sales okay i I work a monday through friday job and actually sometimes work weekends as well so i'm truly at this point of my career a weekend where i can't hunt during the week um other than maybe like a dove hunt early season before the time changes but it you know deer season's never open by then um so my time is extremely valuable uh it really is it's made me think completely different than kind of what i've been in the past you know i'm using my vacation time this year for a uh one hunt i'm not gonna talk about right now we'll talk about a little bit later on (laughs) Uh, and then the other hunt is a uh uh, our wyoming hunt we're gonna be gone for like eight days uh, for that this year so all my time around here is gonna be using weekends i want to hunt as smart as possible and that's where i can i figure Running some of these cell cameras and also running trail cameras at night, which uh, one of our guests talked about, you know, when you get off work and get out there, you know, get in there, check your trail cameras, especially if you're hanging them close to bedding areas. You don't really want to be checking those during daytime right. because you're going to blow those deer out. And uh, we have learned that this summer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's not the fun part.
1: No, not at all. It's, it's not, I, I blew a bachelor group out on accident. Kind of, I was scouting this new spot that uh, I had never been into this one area, but I've hunted around there like five, six years ago uh, when the pines were much shorter, but now the, the pines in that area are, you know, 15, 20 feet tall, but they're still really thick. And there's a couple SMZs um, that kind of ran up in there with those hardwoods. And I was working, I punched through that, uh, those pines and started working the edge down and all of a sudden it just explosion of deer out in the front of me, like 15 <laughs> yards. And this is racks. I'm like, crap, dude. Oh, yeah. And, uh, put a camera there and no deer wanted to show up, yeah. which, uh, I don't blame them after getting scared half the death of right, me coming right. in there, sweating to death and probably breathing a little heavy too. <laughs> How about it, man? I know we're, we, Dimitri now, man, we still got
0: to get out some cameras and stuff like that just because we've been so busy. We're going to Utah here in two weeks. Uh, we're going to, we're going for the opener for, uh, for meal deer for our, that's we Yeah, man. It's our first trip to doing that. We're going with a friend. Uh, who's been very successful out hunting out West from, from Pennsylvania. And uh, uh, we, we got to go do trail cameras. He's like, yeah, I know. Like we, like it just been, focus has been just the Utah trip. So, but we'll get there. I said to him, maybe Saturday or something this weekend. And after we shoot for an hour or something, I said, let's, let's go do that. And he's like, yeah, we got to. So
1: Yeah. We've been running cameras about two months now, uh, which is much sooner than I've ever ran cameras. To be honest, I've in the past, I wasn't ever really that much of a trail camera guy. Our buddy, uh, Michael Pike, um, who's a very successful public land hunter down here uh, that we're really good friends with. He's like, man, we need to get cameras out early this year. I mean, just like, you know, there was antler growth, you know, they just had like main beams and like this EDB little tines growing up. Uh, But we, I think we've located since um, late May, I think we've located probably eight to eight to 12 bachelor groups, depending on if there's any of them overlapping, we're covering about four to 7,000 acres of, of this one piece of public, um, that we're kind of really, I mean, covering thick. I think we've got 20 something cameras at the moment, but we interval between, you know, at one time, eight to 12 of them out at one time, we're just kind of rotating them around, leave them out for a week to 10 to 15 days, check them. If There's nothing on it just keep moving till you find another bachelor group. Right. Um, which is amazing. Cause we looked at it now and you look at a topo map and you can truly see how they're traveling. Like it's one thing just to have three or four cameras out <laughs> when you're working with a group of guys and you've got cameras, I'm talking spread thick. You can truly see how the deer are moving through that. And you pull up a topo map, like a very detailed, uh, a very detailed topo map. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest onyx for us doesn't cut it all that well because with a 20 foot interval lines, you, you're missing a lot yeah. in that, uh, so we use five foot uh, five foot lines out here on our topo maps um, that are that are built for us. And you can really see on these ridges how these deer are moving. You can kind of see where we're picking them up at night, where we're picking them at the daytime. If it's the same deer, we can truly map out from a, like a you know a five thousand foot view of how they're moving right now. Which you know we're not killing them right now. We still get until October fifteenth before we kill these deer, and they're going to shift for sure. Normally that shift happens around October first. Um, but it's very exciting. There are some big deer on camera, uh, definitely the upper echelon for the area, which is exciting. Um, but it gave me a new perspective on running cameras. Again, I've never liked doing it in the past. I mean, it's just a freaking hassle. Like, yep. you know, the deer are never there come season, but we interviewed a, a gentleman again, Josh driver from Kentucky and he's extremely successful with his trail cameras because he, he kind of shifts them as the deer move and like backtracks them kind of back to their beds with those cameras before season and then has success that first couple of days of season killing those bucks, um, which is pretty awesome. So we're going to try to do that this year. Right. Why not, man? Well, dude,
0: I, I love all, all that talk. And I want to, you know, we talk about hunting and uh, what's the one thing for this year that you are looking at now this is gear related. What's the one piece that you're, excited to, to give a, to give a go for
1: 2020. Man, listen, I'm, I talk about this all the time. Listen, I'm not a one person. I'm not a one piece of gear. It's so hard for me to choose. (laughs) Well, give, Um, give
0: multiple, man. That's, it's, that's quite all right. Like what's, what's the exciting things?
1: So one thing uh, we've been using uh, pack frame backpacks for a few years now. Um, started with a Mystery Ranch a Pentler with her guy Light frame. Uh, the reason why is because we're packing stands in, or used to pack stands in, and then pack meat out. Uh, we don't drag deer anymore. Um, even if it's you know half a mile, it's so much easier to, to either quarter them up or just debone them there yep. uh, and then pack out. We're legal. Make sure you check your regs for where you hunt at. Um, but uh, using these pack frames and, and changing out a couple of different bags that really fit for us for organization has really been key. And that's something I'm kind of excited about this year is using a couple different bags from Kefaru. Uh, that's, we've been using Kefaru uh, bags and frames this will be the second, I think second, yeah, second season so far and uh, really have loved them. Now, you know, that's on the upper echelon price points for most people. I completely understand, you know, when you're spending 650 to $750 for a bag and a frame, it's kind of outrageous, and I completely understand. So y'all can make fun of me, um, but there's a lot of really good up options out there that I like for the bags, and I really like having a pack frame, even saddle hunting, because um, we're packing deer out. I'm not dragging deer. I'm not walking back to the truck to go get my bag yep. and then pack the deer out. Um, so having a you know a very slimline frame system that um, you know you can carry your sticks in if you're using sticks, uh, carry your camera gear. I love carrying my camera gear with my with my uh, bag and frame. Um, and just having everything with me at all times is really key. And that's something that I'm going to try to dial in a little bit more this year is really have my bag system dialed in from day one. Cause a lot of times I think we're all out there, all of us deer hunters, especially mobile hunters. You're like crap man i'm forgetting this i forgot that opening day you're like crap but like i'm always you know there's i saw some guy he made a post on the run gun page he said like, man i'm so so calm and collective on opening day i'm like dude i am freaking out in the yeah. like ment- mentally i'm like what am i forgetting what do i not have i get out there and it's you know it's normally always a cluster um where this year we're gonna try to get that dialed in ahead of time which i'm excited about um and then another piece of gear i'm actually really excited about so we are starting to find these bigger bucks in areas you cannot get a climber in. Uh you you can't really get a saddle in there because it's, it's too thick. The limbs what I was talking about earlier, yep. you know, you're hunting uh eight to eight, roughly eight-year-old pines. Um, there's so many limbs on them. You can't cut the limbs because you lose all cover. There's not much cover to begin with. Um, and your shot angles are just kind of terrible. Um, so we're gonna start using some smaller like lock-on stands uh i've got a original lock-on limit which is like a seven pound aluminum stand super small compact sits in my backpack super easy to use that a little bit but also i'm really excited i'm, I'm trying to purchase it I'm, I'm gonna if i wait i might not get it but the the uh, 0.5 from a uh, lone wolf custom gear uh i messed around with that at ata and i'm like it is the perfect stand for what we're trying to do getting in these like these really thick areas that you might not even be seating all that much. You're probably gonna be standing and you just need a platform that you can have your back to the tree very easily. And when that deer steps out in your one little opening, you can draw back and shoot. Right. Um, And I feel like that's going to be awesome. Plus the size and dimensions I was kind of messing around with at ATA. It will fit my pack frame in between my, my bag and my frame so easily. And it's not wider, it's more narrow than the shoulders, which is fantastic for me. And I think it's gonna pack fantastic as well. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that and. You know when it comes to like other gear you know one thing i'm excited about messing around this year um let me think you know i'll tell you one thing one thing is camera gear Uh, i actually sold my big setup uh to a buddy uh, up in kentucky because i'm going to try downsize i i I learned there was times especially if there was like possibly some crappy weather i filmed in the rain a ton i had rain coverage for my cameras and stuff but I wanted to get something a little bit more streamlined compact. You know, I know the audio that I want in, um, kind of the quality I'm wanting and just go into a a smaller compact system that I can use. That's not as clunky and I don't, it doesn't feel as much as a burden when you're carrying 10 pounds of camera gear in the woods.
0: Right. What, so what kind of camera gear setup are you running now?
1: Man, I'll I'll be honest. So I sold my setup. I had not bought anything yet. So that's, that's going to be, what are you looking for?
0: Like, what are you looking into?
1: So I am. So before I had a, a Canon XA11, which if anyone doesn't film, you probably could care less about this point. But I'll kind of go into it. Um, it's a big camera. It really is. Uh, it's part of their prosumer cameras, uh, camcorders, and I decided I wanted to downsize. Andrew's been running the um, the Sony um, AX33. Uh, and had a ton of luck with it he, he really likes it the problem is they just discontinued that um that model about i think it was this spring they just yeah. came out with a, the 43 um which is a little bit more money which is fine but um there is a really compact uh video camera that shoots in uh, 4k it's got a built-in image stabilization with the lens it's fantastic um, and you can run it on a smaller um uh, setup when it comes to uh, your camera arms. That's one thing I kind of always hated, which I see fourth arrow now came out with a new base, which is fantastic because their old base was garbage yeah. in my opinion, from yeah. what we do. Um, and that was probably the worst thing I hated to carry in the woods with that yep. base. Was well, so I, I actually,
0: I have the new one. I love it. Like, cause yeah. I, I had the old one and then now I, I got the new one. And, dude, it is a world of difference. And the one thing, too, about it is there's a little bit of weight to it, but not much. Like, it, I mean, it's definitely a lot less, but it's not the pocket arm from Lone Wolf. But I think that's a total different category. I really do. Like, when you hear people saying, like, what you want and, you know, which, which one has bounce and all that type of stuff, this one is so compact. Uh, I can't reach for it right now. But it's, it's, it's like a baseball. And yep. you, you put on the, uh, like a, uh, over cam buckle instead of the, the ratchet strap. I mean, it is sweet. Like I, I couldn't be more happy and all the, I mean, there's a few videos on it on online, but I, I tested it, tested it out on a tree and it, it is just, it's not moving. Like it is yep. not going anywhere.
1: No, I love how it collapses you know the uh, yep. the standoffs for it collapse which is fantastic that was the biggest issue I had with the old design is they they stuck out and I was always worried about tearing a bag and I never had a it never did tear any of my bags um, but I was worried about like you know it being in there with my clothing and stuff and I always would try to like wrap it up in like mm-hmm. a jacket so I'm not worried about it puncturing anything and that was annoying and then also just how big the the shoulder is on it Um, you know, it's just too much. I yeah. mean, if it's if a guy, if you're filming for, you know, a, an, a legitimate TV show and you're doing some pre hung sets and you can have five or six bases up in the trees, that's awesome. Or if you're just a designated cameraman yep, and you're not carrying any hunting gear with you, that's <laughs> fine. I, I'm cool with it. Cause I've done it a few times. I'm like, it's no big deal. But when you're carrying your bow, you know, especially extra layers, if it's you know, kind of later in the season, um, you know, you're carrying so much different things in your bag and plus the added weight. It's, it's a hassle. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I I like the, uh, is it the Talon? What what do they call it? Yeah, so
0: it's called the Talon and they're having it. uh, The Talon's like the base and then they have like the triple arm for it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the one I got just because I like that for like, since I, like I said, I'll be more so in the saddle uh, this year. So I think that will be a a nice little sweet maneuver, like just the, the, the way to be able to, to maneuver it is going to be awesome.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, some other options out there, I think Andrew just, uh, Andrew, um, just purchased the uh, pocket arm from a lone wolf custom to run with his little camera. And I think that'd be a really cool setup. And, um, I've messed around with the, uh, the -the outland reach, which is a really cool setup as well. Um, so, I mean, there's so many things out there for guys. If you're trying to get into filming and have like a lightweight setup, um, there's a lot of options out there. Uh, I'll tell you one thing, when I see guys still running like a muddy, like with a big muddy, a frame bases I'm like, what do y'all do when i saw the hunting public when they started doing their videos back in oh man whenever they left midwest whitetail Uh, 2017 yeah 17 and i was watching them carry down that that uh that base in that arm i'm like no way dude (laughs) nope 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 no no thank you no thank you i'm with you yeah uh, because i have a um i
0: don't have a camcorder i'm gonna test the water and I actually talked about this on a previous podcast with our buddies over at full draw assassins, but, um, cause they're getting into filming. I had a DSLR Canon this past season. I sold that and I had a ton of different lenses with it. So I got a decent amount of money just because of the glass and I got the Sony a 6,400 mirrorless camera.
1: sick. And
0: yeah. I, I, cause one, I want to start taking some more pictures and just have a one in one stop shop. And mm-hmm. then my other concern was, i enjoyed it being in the stand and if there was a like i had a black bear one time come by and so it was easy to film but again i didn't have that opportunity to film my shot that i had just because i didn't even get set up i'm wondering like do i want to just go that simple camcorder route and like and still keep my obviously i'm keeping that a64 um but it's like what do i do you know.
1: yeah so i that is a great question so i have messed around with both i've messed around with, filming with the dslr uh, for turkeys and everything and it's fantastic if you're as a designated camera guy you can know, just use that manual lens and focus it's great because you get some great footage um and just make sure that you're wearing gloves and everything but as a cell filmer it is so difficult with yeah. a manual lens yeah. i mean uh i think i think parker mcdonald from uh, southern ground he uses um i don't know if it's a 6400 or 6500 but he's got a mechanical uh, he's got a uh uh, I think he as a kind uh, uh, of powered lens so he can actually with the, with the uh, remote yep. zoom in and zoom out, which is fantastic. Uh, if I was going to go like the mirrorless route, which I've thought about before in the past, cause of how small and compact that system yeah. is. Um, that's what I would do. I mean, I would absolutely pay the money to have that powered lens just because it's going to take less stress away than having to try to, you know, throw something into focus. Cause the, the, the what I would be terrified with is you know you don't the cool thing about four uh 4k cameras you don't have to zoom all the way in uh i told my buddy michael pike that all the time because he, he's like he's worried about bouncing the camera i'm like Dude, zoom zooming out you can crop it in it looks fantastic um and that's like the big thing about fourth uh 4k cameras but uh my worry would be you know using a manual lens like that in a manual focus i mean you can pop the autofocus and it works okay but the problem is it might You might miss the deer when you're trying to touch the screen and it's hitting something behind it and then you're shot everything's on camera but you can't see anything this is all blurred out and i would that would hurt me dude oh dude yeah that would that'd be terrible so i i've
0: i've actually been looking at i mean i've been doing it for months now where i've I've been looking at uh the ax a x53 from sony uh on ebay and like they go for like 500 600 bucks so I'm like, oh man, what, what, what do I have laying around the house that could get me some coin that way I could pony up for just so I can mess with it. Just because again, I think once whitetail season rolls around, like that's what I'm going to go with. Like when we go out West at a 6,400, I'm going to rent, uh, like a, a wide angle lens just to have with us as well. Um, but in reality, because if, if I'm with Dimitri, I'll be filming and vice versa. So, like, it's not going to be self-filming, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, when it gets down to the whitetail side of things, it's going to be all all me, unless one of us bags, you know, tags out on a buck sooner or, or before.
1: Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. I will say, again, messing around with both. Self-filming, the camcorder is the easiest way. And anyone out there that's looking to film for themselves, I mean, having some kind of camcorder design is – it's more simple. It, it's it's plug and play. I mean, very short learning curve. You don't have to worry about all the different adjustments like you would on a DSLR, <laughs> even a mirrorless, which gives you an unbelievable picture or, or video. Yeah. When we filmed with Andrew, he's got a, uh, oh gosh, what is it? Um, Crap, I can't even remember what his DSLR is. It's a Canon. Uh, and it when we filmed with that, it's, it's not one of the Rebel series. It's just above, I think it's T-series. I can't remember. But when you're filming with that thing, you get some of the best images off that. And it's not 4K, I think it shoots in 1920P, uh, uh, and it shoots so clear and crystal clear and just smooth. And it's like, compare that to most camcorders, and this is a 4K camcorder, it, there's no comparison. No, I mean, yeah. the DSLR is amazing and we filmed a turkey hunt, uh, two years ago. Um, with that DSLR, and it was unbelievable. The footage now, it, no turkeys died in the making of that video, <laughs> but everything else was just unbelievable. But again, for a guy self self filming it's just so complicated. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it'll make you want to throw that camera out of the tree yeah. and, uh, and uh, leave it in the woods. Yeah,
0: man. Well, when Dimitri shot his Turkey this past season and we were, uh, I was filming him just like talking after recovery it was like 20 seconds in. And I was like, oh shit. I'm like, I don't have him in focus. So I was like, I just clicked the autofocus like immediately. And it went like to him. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> like, yep. like, come on rookie mistake as usual, but.
1: It's just well, tough. Some of the autofocuses, depending on whether it's like a Sony or a Canon, you gotta be careful with them. And we learned this as well, especially just, you know, we like to use the DSLR when we're filming like gear reviews and stuff. You want to put it back on manual because if you leave it on autofocus, if the guy's moving at all, it just, it keeps like, no way i can see my hands right now but it keeps like just kind of refocusing it's super distracting for like the people that's watching and uh we had a couple gear reviews where i think andrew was filming me i'm moving around it keeps doing that and we're like oh dude we gotta scrap that and like let's go to manual because when you're doing manual you can kind of keep it in that frame a little bit easier and just tell the guy do not move from this one spot like you can move your body a little bit just don't move your feet um and that plays out really really well um but yeah, again, self-filming is not for everybody, but it's cool. You know, one thing I liked about it is go back and watch some of the hunts that we've done and documented just with friends and family. Um, you know, I don't have kids, you know, I told you that, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a single bachelor right now. <laughs> all right. And, um, you know, if I had kids, definitely, I would love to film and kind of film some of those memories, um, and put something together. I think that would be the coolest thing ever. When I was growing up, my uncle was running around with a, uh, again, I got into hunting with him. I think I shot my first deer. I was like 11 years old, 12 years old. It was a little jacked, a little four point. And uh, he was filming on like a tape, a, a tape friggin', yeah. uh camcorder and uh, filmed both me and my brother shoot our first deer with that thing. And it was the coolest, that's coolest footage ever. So I'm like, stuff like that, if you got kids, would be yeah. fantastic to get into. And that's one way, hey, listen, you talk your wife into buying that camera because, hey, you can go film the kids. Yep.
0: Yep, exactly. Well, dude, I want to talk about... um uh like we talked about earlier i want to talk about sticks just because that's a that's a big topic mobile hunting in general is just like the you know top top red winner um and obviously to go to be mobile you need a set of sticks uh and right now i just told you i, I got rid of my out on a limb sticks uh i i really love love them there's i just i'm going a different route you know what i mean i mm-hmm. want to just it's one of those things and uh i i have two other sets i have the hawk i have the um xop sticks too and then right now i have those novics coming uh here they should be here tomorrow and man, for, for that what was it like 129 price point right off the yeah, bat for the minis for the minis yeah. uh man i, I couldn't pass that up so uh, i'm gonna give those a, a run uh i know some friends that have tried those timber ninjas uh our, my, our friend bill with pertinere outdoors just posted that he got his in and um i told him i want his job since since buying all that stuff but man man i i uh i that's the one thing i love i love that gear as far as as sticks are concerned so what are you running as far as sticks
1: Man, uh, I've got a lot. So I, I currently own, I've got two sets of Lone Wolf, uh, just traditional Lone Wolf 32 inch sticks, um, which I've used for years. I've got a set of Muddy Pros um, as well. I've got a set of the 30, uh, the, I guess the long, I don't know if they're 32 inches, but the uh, the long Lone Wolf custom gear sticks. Um, and then also, uh, Andrew's using them, but I have used them, the uh, the Shikara sticks from Out on a Limb. And, and uh, I, I will say this, I actually don't use sticks as much as I use those steps, which I talked about earlier. Um, Just because the way I'm hunting and everything, I I'm not looking for speed. I can be even, I'll be honest, I don't want to take sticks apart to stealth strip them. I'll be a hundred percent honest. I might try to maybe someday, maybe that might be a summer project, but um, those steps are so quiet for me and I can climb up a tree. In most situations, fairly easily. The only issue I've had with those sticks, and I talked about this on one of our last shows is, uh, like really, really big trees, which I'm getting a couple eight foot straps coming in there. They're, they're six foot straps, but trees that have like a weird lean, when you're looking at the tree, it doesn't look like it's leaning. Oh, by yeah. the way, I'm, yeah, sorry about the audio. Um, but looking at the tree. It doesn't look like it's leaning, but when you get up three stick or three steps high, you know, you're four feet off the ground, five feet off the ground. It starts getting a weird lean. And if you're on the downward side of the lean, it is terrible. Okay. Like terrible. Uh, So that's when I like having sticks because you can adjust it a lot quicker and easier. Um, But messing around with the sticks, there are times when I am trying to get 30 plus feet up in a tree. And the the only times I'm ever doing that is if I'm hunting inside a cutover or a clear cut where there's like some big pine trees or big oak trees left Um, or if I'm uh, just hunting around like one of those really thick open areas. And when I mean thick, when you're on the ground, you cannot see everything's above your head. You cannot see you know, three yards in front of you. I mean, your buddy could be right there in front of you with no orange on, just, you know, camo, and you're not going to see that guy. Well, when you get up 30 plus feet up in the tree, you can see down through that stuff very easily. And I shot a deer last year doing that where uh, me and Andrew went to a spot I've never been into before down in South Alabama and uh, just went off the road. And there's this area where they had come in, and they cleared, um, they, they did a really tight clear cut or, or select cut. So they left a few of these giant, Lonely pines, everything around it was all like privet just really nasty thick briars and stuff and there was tons of deer trails i mean i was i had to walk on trails back there because you can't get <laughs> off trail because you're just cutting through brush it's terrible right, right i found the one tree i wanted to get in which was at a it was a pinch point where this uh smz kind of ran up into this uh this old cut that's all just covered in vines and crap and it the deer were going around that edge so i took in two lone wolf sticks in those 12 steps and got to my platform. I have a 30 foot pull up rope and it was tight before I stepped into my platform as I was hanging the platform. Um, so I was probably around 32, 33 feet, uh, used two lone wolf sticks again, the 12 steps from a silent approach. Um, and it was amazing. Cause once I got up that high, I could see down into all this stuff that when you're on the ground, it you was just it. a complete jungle. Right. right. Uh, most guys, especially guys in the Midwest, um, uh, you know, a lot of the guys I've talked to up the East coast don't ever get that high from the guys I've talked to. Like there's no need in a lot of situations. Um, so that's just not necessary, but there was a few hunts last year. I took those, uh, the lone wolf, uh, custom gear sticks in. And I liked them just cause they stack real nice. Uh, they're easy to pack on the, on the backpack and on the frame. Um, and they they were fairly quiet. Um, and I started using last year. Uh, I, I've wrote model a lot of my sticks, um, I, I like using the root mod. One reason why is some of the properties we hunt have really big trees, you know, old growth timber, you know, these really big oaks. And I remember the first year we did, uh, that Andrew uh, kind of got a pair of uh, lone wolf sticks. He was hunting a property and uh, it, it's a very special property. It was, there's a mix of old ag fields there. It's a big piece of public and um, all the trees around the edge of these old grown up fields are like monster water oaks, huge trees. And he actually had to custom. We had to make some rope mods that were eleven feet long to go around <laughs> these trees. Okay, yikes! So that's nearly twice the normal strap you would get on a, on a lone wolf stick. It's a six foot strap just to go around these trees and finally get high enough up that the tree kind of neck back down where you can get a six foot strap around it. Um, so that's one thing I like about the rope mods. You can kind of customize them. Customize them to the this the terrain you're hunting the trees you're
0: hunting and i'll and i'll i'll even cut you off there and and say Mm -hmm. hey uh if you guys need a rope mod video i'll do a shameless plug for for jacob here and go watch it over at the uh southern outdoorsman uh youtube channel because it's it's awesome actually that's the video that i learned to to do mine because i was like ah you know how do you go about doing it and yours is like five minutes long and it's the perfect amount of time and you go over what what you need to do. And so if you're looking to do some rope mods, check that video out.
1: Yeah. Cool thing about that video. I just now kind of reminded me, we filmed that right before we walked in the hunt kind of going in blind to this spot, this old Ridge off this um, uh, this river and we actually killed a deer on that hunt. Dude. <laughs> that's uh, awesome. It was, it was pretty awesome. So we filmed it. It was a cold ass. It was a cold day. It was terrible. And, uh, but yeah, that's a, that's interesting. That, that was the first time that was the first hunt I actually used the rope mods on and I really liked it. Um, just cause my thing is cam straps were fine until one of them gets loose and they hit a stick yeah. and then you're like crap man like you know yeah. you just made all this noise because it's the most audible sound you'll hear in the woods yeah. or that are two sticks clanging together uh and that's one reason why i kind of got away from sticks in some situations there's stuff on the market now that guys can use to quiet sticks like there's a, that sound barrier tape from the gals uh, sound barrier you got the stealth strips you've got the uh, lone wolf custom gear tape whatever the silent tape they make um there's so many things that you can do to quiet sticks which i would highly recommend i'll just be honest, uh, I guess kind of a hypocrite. I haven't done it yet, even though I probably ought to, um, <laughs> and just kind of be a little bit more quiet with that setup. But, um, yeah, sticks are, sticks are so versatile. If there's a guy looking to get into mobile hunting sticks is the easiest way to go. If I ever have a guy, which I had guys message me all the time from the running gun page or just from the podcast, like, Hey man, I'm really looking at trying to buy some sticks. you know, what would you recommend? And I always ask them, well, what's your budget? And they're always like, well, What's what? What can I get for the most bang for my buck? And I'm like, my opinion is probably not going to be what's going to yeah. fit for your opinion. Right. Um, and again, I kind of talked about that earlier. But uh, those hawk sticks for the yep. price point are hard to beat. It really are. I've hunted with them before. I hunted with them back in the, like 2015. Um, my brother had some, and we did a couple hunts together. They're cool. They're 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 great, uh, especially for a guy just getting in and at, at a really tight budget. It's fantastic. Uh, and it's a double step, so it's easy for guys to climb and feel comfortable with it uh, and really be comfortable using a linesman belt. Because if you're gonna be mobile hunting and you're not using a climber, you're going to be using a linesman belt, if you, or you should be. You should be, yeah. um, And having something that you're very comfortable climbing with um, is gonna be huge because you're gonna be more comfortable while you're in the tree, which if you're more comfortable, most times you're gonna be more quiet. The times when I've seen guys climb for the first time and they're all kind of nervous and they're all fidgety, that's when they're making a lot of noise because they're clanging stuff together. They don't have their their sticks uh, dialed in for climbing um, and they just don't feel comfortable in the tree. Uh, but yeah, those Hawk sticks are hard to beat for the price point. Um, also, you know, now with everything, this premium hunting gear on the market, kind of my budget sticks, you know, I still like a, a classic lone wolf stick. Uh, I don't, I personally don't have to have a double step. Um, so I like having alternating steps. Um, and for a 32 inch stick, for the price point, uh, especially if you buy those, uh, the, uh, the novix yep. when they were on sale, uh, I think they're $159 uh, for four of the full length sticks. They're fantastic. And I think they're two and a half pounds or something, but they feel light in the hand, even when you get four of them stacked together, they, they feel light in the hand, which is really nice. Um, and they had that one thing I like about them. They had that, the adjustable V bracket uh, okay. standoff, yep. which the Hawk doesn't have. And that's one downside when you're hunting kind of some nasty trees easy, uh, yeah. that I personally experience. Um, but there's so many sticks on the market right now for guys to kind of get into, but definitely on the budget side, you know, the Hawks are hard to beat. There's some guys you can find some muddy pro sticks on uh, used for sale, which I'm a huge proponent of buying used gear. Like you don't have to go buy new everything. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff I have is a mixture of new and used, um, especially climbing systems. Uh, like my muddy pros. I bought used from a guy from Florida and uh, they're, they're a great stick. You know, they're a little bit heavier for the size definitely, but they're very user friendly, uh, which is great. Cause the biggest thing is, you want something, if you're trying to get into mobile hunting, you want something that isn't going to take a long learning curve to get comfortable using. Uh, because most guys, to be honest, they might buy a setup, they might try to climb once or twice in their backyard, and then they hang it up, oh, I'm good to go for season. And then yeah. they get out there like, oh, crap, this is not as easy as I thought it was going to be, especially yeah. when you got your camo on, you know, you got your bow on the ground, you're about to, you know, you're climbing up, trying to be quiet the first morning or whatever, and uh, or you're hanging in the dark. That's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah a lot of guys don't ever practice myself included. I never practice climbing in the dark uh, and keeping yourself quiet and not hitting anything uh, and not stumbling while you're trying to climb up the tree and and make a lot of noise. Um, So, you know, if you can go out after hours, when it gets dark, get your headlamp on and just try to climb up a tree, just eight, 10 feet. um, It will help out a ton getting yourself set up.
0: Yep. Yeah, man. I, I tell you what, I, that's the one thing that, when I transitioned to getting more mobile from going from a climber to having a lone wolf custom gear to having XOP, whatever, my thing was like, okay, I want to do this as quietly and as safely as possible. You know what I mean? And then from there, how could I do it effectively, you know, efficiently? And so I went out on like the hottest day in July. (laughs) Like I remember this and I, I remember getting set up and like my shirt was just drenched. I was like, okay, pull my bow up. Let me just take like one round of like five arrows, rip them off at the deer target just from that elevation. And, and then uh, I just like hung out up there and I was like, okay, let's do the tear down. And then, you know, then a couple days later I do it again. And like you said, it, it's really important that people do that because man, you want to, like you said that like for people that are like you and I that are first day scatterbrain and and just so excited and whatever, Mm -hmm. that's when, like you said, like you are going to clank and have that, that sound that you don't want to hear. Um, so yeah, I'm a big proponent on practicing, uh, as much as you can of going up and down and figuring out too. like, especially for gear guys that, uh, with the gear for, for camera, you know what I mean? If you have, if you're filming your hunts, when you climb up, bring all that stuff up with you and and practice your scenario because the first time of setting up your fourth arrow talent arm shouldn't be the first day in in the tree. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I'll do that. Listen, guilty. Guilty as charged. (laughs) Been there, done that, dude. Terrible idea. Terrible idea. You get any new gear like that, you got to practice big time beforehand because you think, oh man, it's not going to be hard to hang it up. You know, one thing I noticed when I first started filming out of a saddle is you have to hang that, you have to put that that base for that camera arm so much lower than you would in a tree stand. you know, a tree stand. a lot of times guys like to have it when you're sitting in the stand, you know, it's, you know, kind of right by, you know, most guys want to have that base probably like waist high Mm -hmm. and then that arms a little bit higher up so you can swing it right in front of you. And then when you stand up, it's like that waist high when you're standing. Well, when you're saddle hunting, when you're leaning, you want that camera below your bridge so you can go back and forth real easy. And it's a completely different setup. I remember the first time I hunted out but it, I was like, "What the? What is it?" Yeah. I had to move my base I think four times to finally get it <laughs> low enough where my camera would clear underneath my bridge. Um, So yeah, that's definitely challenging. Definitely something that, you know worth looking at. And another thing, I, I saw this on the Running Gun page, and this is the first time I've seen this, or I even thought about this in years. I cannot remember. Well, let me think before I say that. I don't think i can remember the last time i did more than one trip up a tree um right i remember when getting started you know guys you know i remember when i first got started yeah i was doing like two or three trips up to get everything situated and ever since getting myself dialed in back in like 2014 i have not had that issue again because when i'm when i attach my bow in my backpack and sometimes i wear my backpack to my pull-up rope i'm not coming back down until after the hunt yep um, and there's so many guys I see that are new getting into it and they're like, Oh man, how do you do it? How do you do it? Especially with sticks. And one thing I started doing when I was hunting on a tree stand is I'd get some paracord and on my safety harness, I'm off my, my left hip, my right hip. And then kind of like where your tailbone is, I tie, you know, like some, you know, three inch, three or four inch, uh, in diameter, you know, um, little holes that you can stick the, uh, the uh, standoffs through for the sticks and they just kind of hang straight down from you. Uh, and that worked out fine. That worked out great because it kind of hangs them there. You know, they're not really clanking as long as you're not swinging back and forth, um, which is really nice. You can take them off very easily. Uh, and that's been one of the best things I've seen. Now guys that are saddle hunting. And I guess you could do this on a safety harness too. There's someone out there and I cannot remember who it is. They make these Austin little-
0: Cantola. Yeah. That's from Genesis 3d printing. We had Austin yeah. on a couple weeks ago. Awesome dude. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so he's got that product where they, like, snap in real, yep. real easy and they lock, lock in. Uh, and I've seen some other guys have uh, – that just either knew somebody that had, like, um, some uh, – not Kevlar. Uh, oh, gosh, what's the stuff they make holsters out of? Um, crap. That polymer. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. yeah, Kydex. Yeah. So they make these little Kydex little clips, too, that, you know, kind of like a little Z-clip. And you can, like, snap, snap them onto your uh, – your saddle on the molly loops and then tie a really small piece of paracord around the end of your stick, yep. like underneath the, uh, the standoff. And then they just like slide on and lock on. I'm like, that's, that's cool as well. Um, but there's so many different ways to attach your sticks to you as you climb, so you don't have to come back down. Yep. Um, there, there should be no need for that. You know, if you practice enough, there should be no need for the second you're at the base of your tree, you put that first stick on, you're going all the way up that first time. Uh, and it takes practice for sure.
0: 100%. So. Yeah. I, I, that's the one thing where man if, if you're if you're really into this you could really go down a rabbit hole of watching all the different types of scenarios of what you could do to actually you know get up the tree in that one that one um, climb up and there's tons of awesome videos out there so i highly encourage you to definitely just check out and see what kind of like works best for you what would fit in your budget too of ordering things i actually have um I believe too. I'd have to go back and look people, but I know we still have, I think it's uh like antler up 10. I believe if you go to Austin, uh, 3d Genesis, Genesis 3d printings page. Um, cause he has some awesome stuff. And then, uh, like Jacob said too, I know over at, uh, what's the, uh, what is it? Eastern out, out, out. Yeah.
1: Back, Eastern backwoods. Yeah. I can't remember. Um, uh, Michael page, but yeah.
0: Yeah, he he sells those little, the little clips for, uh, you know, that, that you could have on on your uh, saddle as well to, with the paracord on, on your sticks.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could do it with carabiners as yeah. well, you know, having carabiners hanging off the side of your saddle. It's, there's so many different things to do it just so you don't have to make multiple trips. One thing Andrew's been doing, which I thought was really interesting, I didn't know he did this because we don't, me and him hunt together, but we don't hunt in the same tree. Yeah. You know, we'll, like we'll hike into a spot he's going over here, I'm I'm four or five hundred yep. yards down. Um, And we did that last year. He's got, so he's using uh, the Kafaru 22 uh, inch tactical frame with their 22 Magnum back. Okay. And the bag has side compression straps that go from the back of the bag to the side of the bag. So kind of like along the sides right here, they've got two straps on each side. And he actually attaches his sticks and he's using the Shakara sticks and he just leaves them uh, deployed, you know, fully locked out with the standoffs facing away uh, from the bag. He'll reach back on his right hand side. He'll clip the two off. Uh, undo that strap, and he holds them in his hand, and he can hang them up. And then, as he climbs up to the top, he can unclip the left side and then take them off and do the exact same thing. You know, he'll lay one across the uh, the linesman beltwise, yep. hanging the first one, and keep going. And I thought that was a really smart way where you don't have to have them hanging off of you. Because my one issue I've had with sticks when you hang them off, if for some reason, yeah, yeah if for some reason, again, can't see, yeah, <laughs> they
0: can't see us. Yeah,
1: I, I, I was gonna say I don't know. if I don't think y'all posted videos, yeah. uh, but. Yeah. If you shift your weight or something, something happens, you slip while you get those sticks hanging below you. They're going to sound like some wind chimes and yeah. it's terrible. That's the yeah. worst sound everywhere. A quiet morning, man. It's so quiet in the wood. You're climbing <laughs> up. And also like you slip, like it's kind of wet and you just like slip off the step or something and your sticks are smashed, smacking together. You're like, oh, okay. All right. Every, everything yeah. for, you know, a mile knows, knows I'm here. Yeah. So exactly. Terrible.
0: Well, Jacob, what do you got going on for 2020 as far as hunting goes?
1: Oh, Man, we got a lot of stuff going on. Um trying to see some of them I'm trying to keep on the DL kind of, yeah. right now to actually after the fact. So, but we're going to Wyoming, um, in November, we drew a, 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 a white tail slash mule deer tag for, nice. uh, North central Wyoming hunting, some big river bottoms and uh hill country, uh, tags good for both white tails and mule deer. So we're super excited. It's a rifle hunt. Um, you know, it's gonna be white tail rut going on at that time. Uh, and then also uh kind of mule deer kind of pre-rut at that time. So it's gonna be really exciting. Um, also just. Deer hunting, we're gonna be hunting, uh, Tennessee this year. We're gonna be hunting, uh, Alabama, a whole bunch, uh, especially, uh, our season now in Alabama is gonna be opened up October 1st, uh, in a couple spots. So we're gonna have a much longer season. Our season goes to February 10th, which is awesome. I mean, yeah. most of these guys, I wrap up in January. I'm like, man, we've got another month and a half yeah. left. Yeah. Um, which is exciting and still chasing running deer, especially down South. Um, and then possibly maybe getting out to another state we, we've got to kind of see the scheduling, uh, being a weekend warrior, using a lot of vacation time on some of our bigger trips, it's, uh, makes it's it tough. challenging. Yeah. Makes it extremely challenging, but let me ask you, you know, you're going to Utah, which I'm kind of jealous about, I would love to go for an early, uh, mule deer hunt, uh, with, with the archery equipment. Uh, let me ask what are y'all doing to train for that or kind of understand what it's gonna be looking like for y'all when y'all get out there.
0: So, uh, the one thing that we've kind of come to grip with is basically anybody we talk to is you can't do anything as far as the elevation gain is concerned like you just either you're going to suck or or not you know what i mean um so uh other than that man it, i've just been for as far as like the training we've been shooting a lot and shooting a lot farther than than we normally do i mean we i love shooting like total archery challenge and the one here in pennsylvania got canceled so like the past 2 years i've actually been shooting you know, as far as I could possibly feel comfortable going, uh, mm-hmm. but man, to be consistent, like Dimitri, what's nice about his property is we could get out to as far as we want. I mean, you want to, you know, he has a whole railroad basically in his backyard that we could just go until we can't go anymore. Um, so we've been practicing shooting longer distance just to feel comfortable so that if a, if we could only get in 70 yards and we have a shot opportunity you know we're gonna take it you know we didn't drive 28 hours to you know just say ah oh, man you know what i mean we're, we're gonna we're gonna let let things rip um but then uh man for, for me as far as like a physical standpoint i i have a xo 4800 backpack um i load that up and Man, anytime I take my dog, my daughter, anywhere outside, I throw that sucker on. It's like we'll have like the neighborhood policeman come drive by. And he's like, how's it going? I'm like, just like preparing for Utah. He's like, what's in Utah? You know, I'm like, (laughs) I got a hunt coming up. So I'm just got the pack on and trying to sweat a little bit and get used to that. And I met a couple of my friends for a hike the one day uh, here in central Pennsylvania, it's, uh, out in Roth rock state park. And it's one of the higher elevation gain. It's like four over 4,000, which is nice. Um, kind of felt the head a little bit pounding at one point. I, I don't know if it was cause it was 92 degrees or what, but, um, you know, something, I guess we got to get used to. So yeah, man, just trying to condition myself. I've been, I, it was funny about two weeks ago, I had like a, a freak out moment. Cause I'm like, I have a checklist and I'm checking everything off. Like, okay, I have, I have, I have, and you know, oh, here's the little, little nitty gritty things that, uh, as far as like hygiene and, you know, filling up the, uh, medic bag with, uh, slumberjack, the nightfall one person tent, it's light enough. It's, it's a little long.
1: Um, I can make it work obviously in that bag. Yeah, no, dude, you're, you're right on. I know our first trip that we went to Wyoming for mule deer, we overpacked bad. It was yeah. terrible. Like we carried way too much crap in the woods and like or up open to the mountains and, uh, we were hunting, uh, Northwestern, uh, Col- or North, not Colorado, Northwestern Wyoming. And I think our packs walking in, I think they were set 65 to 70 pounds. Stupid, <laughs> just stupid, man. And we, we did not have nice frames. We were using, uh, uh, Alps, com- uh, Commander commander and bag, which is listen. I don't like talking bad about companies, but it's a terrible bag. Yeah. Save your money and listen. Two things: if you're going out west, for anyone listening, you want to have good boots, like a, a stiffer sole boot, that so your feet are not just torn up and look like roadkill. Yep. And then you want you want a good bag. You re- you don't want to skip on those two. That's yep. um, it's huge. And I was going to ask you, what are y'all doing for glass? Are y'all doing anything? So, me? Are y'all-
0: so honestly, I was thinking about uh, bringing a spotting scope. with, uh, we have friends that run uh, big sky rentals and so they have glass that we could rent. But my thing was like, you know what? I don't want the extra weight. Uh, I have uh, uh, vortex diamondback HD 10 by forty twos. I got the tripod. I'll just throw them up and just go, for, go that route just because it, you know, they work, they were good for me. So um, for right now, that's what we're going to roll with. I know Dimitri has the, I don't know if he has 10 by fifties, I think. Um, so he has his set as well. And, but, yeah, I was kind of debating, do I get a scope, not get a scope. And depending on where, I mean, we could hunt almost three different types of terrain depending mm-hmm. on what we see. One might be really good with a spotting scope, whereas the other two were thinking, ah, eh, because of where, where we're heading, it may or may not be a benefit. So we're like, ah, eh, that's why I said I'm just going to keep with the binos and put them up on a tripod and go from there.
1: When we went to Wyoming, and I'm, I'm glad you brought the 10 by 42s it is amazing. For anyone that's never looked at binos through a tripod, it is you see so well. It yeah. is ridiculous. Andrew was picking up bucks. I had some El Cheapo uh, uh bush nails that were uh, twelve by fifties. Terrible. Listen, this at the time I, I should have <laughs> spent more money on instead of spending money on, you know, rifles and stuff, I should have, you know, bought some little better binos. Um, <laughs> uh, but he was running off a tripod eight by forties and he was picking out bucks at like one and a half you know, almost two miles out and you'd just be a speck. We'd pull up the, the spot and scope on it. You're like, Oh, that's a good deer. Yeah. But he's like way up on the side of the ridge. We're going to try to let him come down. Cause we were hunting this big giant drainage coming out of the uh, wilderness area. Uh, but I mean, he was using those eight power and picked up, he saw way more deer with those eight power than I saw with the 12 power. Yeah. Just cause they, they were more cr- crisp and putting on the, putting them on the uh, tripod, you can see so well. Um, so that's why I'm, I'm, I'm glad, yeah. you know, I don't, I wouldn't get stuck on, Spending big money on a spotting scope, especially your first time going out there If you just use this binos on a tripod, you'll be able to see the deer when they're moving You're gonna be able to see them now with their bedded in the shadows and stuff It might be a little more tough, but uh, at least you'll kind of have an idea of where right. some deer are kind of moving on them. So that's awesome.
0: Yeah, man It's been really really fun to get set up all this stuff just because again, like we talked I love gear in general so like even like today I had uh, I bought like cheaper dirty bags, like for for my water system, and I was like, okay. Once I f- finally Amazon got in, actually no, I ended up going REI route because uh, they had the platypus like three liter bag. So I ordered that. That came today. I got a little uh, collapsible mug for my coffee, um, just like those little things. And then I got a Kefaru, um their like their light bags, so that mm-hmm. I'm gonna put all my my food in there. And then I think hopefully Monday. Cause I got a mega, and then I bought their like large, medium, small, extra, whatever it was, and then I bought another extra large to go with it, just to have, cause I might put other little things, just to be more organized, rather than just throwing shit it all in the bag and let it be wherever
1: it is, type of ordeal. So. I'll tell you this as well. So I guarantee you're gonna overpack for this trip, and yep. you're gonna probably use a third of what you're packing but hey that's part of the trip. you're going to be over prepared it's going to be awesome make a checklist of what you did take what you didn't use and for the next trip you'll kind of understand how dire, dire yeah. stuff in because i know when we're going out now we're going to be doing this a little bit different we're not going to be backpacking in, we're going to be truck camping but if we were backpacking in i know exactly what i would not be taking again yeah. um it's just you know we carried so much stuff and one thing we carried more food at the time i thought we'd be eating a ton and when you're up there dude you're at elevation uh, i don't know what elevation you're at we were at around 8,500 feet which isn't super high um but if you know you're around 10 or 12 you're gonna be hungry but you're not gonna eat a whole bunch yeah um, it, it's crazy so you know i think we overpacked. i think we had probably between us you know for like a, it was just like a three-day little backpack trip where we were gonna do i think we had 12 pounds of food or something each. It was just stupid. And I'm like, man, I mean, I think that lasts us the whole week just eating at the truck. Cause we didn't to another spot. And uh, yeah, that's one thing. I'm like, I'm not taking yeah, as much next time.
0: That's the one thing I think I'm more worried about is the whole food thing. And uh, just because I th- like in my bag now, I'm like, okay, I have my, my sleeping pad, my bag, like sleeping bag, my tents in there. And I still have a crap ton of room. I'm like, okay, well, here's could be like the two bags probably for food. And I have it all divvied up in like a gallon bag. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, so here's my breakfast. Here's my dinner. And here's like my lunch. My thought process is I'm going to go with a hot breakfast and obviously a hot dinner. And then my lunch is going to be like beef jerky, pro bar, uh, gummy bears, like that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. But like I held the bag and I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) <laughs> like
1: and i'm gonna try to carry seven of these suckers i'll, I'll listen i don't know what your personality like taste wise is I, I can when i'm doing a trip like this if i'm hunting i'll say like i'm going up to hunt like tennessee for a weekend uh, i keep it super simple because we did the same thing we're like oh yeah we're gonna have hot breakfast you know we're hunting like you know uh, mid-october early october you know it's gonna be cold and we're like, And oh yeah we're gonna have hot breakfast all that crap that's the last thing in your mind. You don't want to wake yeah. up the next year forty five minutes early just to cook something cook. up. Yeah, I'm more of a bar guy personally. Everybody's a little bit different. Than like granola and just having like high protein. It's like just eat something quick and you're on the move. Yeah. Uh, because uh, what we found out, you're not at camp as much as you think you are. If you're at camp, this is either good because you killed a deer, or it's bad because something happened. You're yeah. stuck at camp. Yeah. Uh, So that yeah, that was the biggest thing. Like, man, keep we kept it simple, just eating uh, you know, protein bars and uh you know at night we'd cook something, we come back and you know, we'd cook something at camp. But uh other than that, it was just like, man, we're on the move. You know, every (laughs) time we stopped we'd snack on something, but other than that, we're just constantly, you know, glassing and one thing we did was we found a couple good spots that we just glass from. We, I remember we sat there one afternoon for like six hours, just like picking deer out They you know, they'd stand up, they'd bed, but they were in positions you could not get to the, you know, they blow out of there because you're looking at them at, at a mile and you're yeah. across a wide open drainage. Um, <laughs> but uh, dude, it's awesome. So I'm, I'm excited for y'all. I think that y'all going to have a blast, um, especially with archery equipment, man. Yeah. Cause I mean, getting close to them, sneaking a on that'll be exciting. Yeah, um, I,
0: I, especially too, because I said about filming it and I'm going to try to, I like part of me is so excited for the hunt itself, but I think more of it, more so just for the experience and trying to get document it all, whether it be mm-hmm. images, whether it be the video. Um, because I really want to try to emphasize getting better quality stuff this year as far as the video is concerned. So I'm like, man, this could be a really good opportunity. So.
1: Yeah, after three years, we actually just found the footage from our Wyoming trip, and yeah. where I, did, I had the most epic kill shot for Andrew. He, he like he crawls up on his buckets like 220 yards. He gets his gun, he puts on his uh on his uh, backpack. He's laying down, and lays on a cactus at the same time, and uh actually, and he sat on a cactus early that morning. He was all cactus up. He was terrible, dude. And uh, this buck's out there is perfect in frame with his little handy cam. And all of a sudden, I, I I don't look at the viewfinder. I start looking at him, and it just goes to the sky, and he goes. <sighs> he shoots, and I'm like, oh crap, I come back down, we walk up and skin the deer out, and uh, just ruined a perfect shot. I mean, dude, it was perfectly in-framed, <laughs> uh, just over the shoulder shot, and yeah, just screwed it up. You got right. get distracted. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, so we, we have that going on. I have, um, obviously, here in Pennsylvania, I'm gonna try to do Ohio um in october just because it, you know it, where i'm at in central pennsylvania i could get to an area obviously too i'm sure a lot of people hunt that area as well um because it's within three hours driving distance so uh i talked to a couple friends that again uh, with Derek and ken from full draw and Assassin, assassins they've been uh scouting it actually just past spring and they knew we had after our podcast that we're going to plan on going out as well so we're like hey let's let's make a trip like i told them like you don't have to if, if we're going in an area, I'm like, man, you go wherever you scout it. I'll kind of just, I'll just go and uh, throw up on the saddle and see. So October, I'm going to try to get after it in Ohio, just because our buddy Brian with America's best bowstring says after October, man, it is just so tough in Ohio with the pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to actually, I'll probably hunt opening day here in Pennsylvania, but man, I come after that, I might try to put some time in Ohio.
1: I thought about doing the same thing. We got a, a friend of ours that lives in Kentucky yeah, and he's had success killing a lot of big deer up there, uh, in, in Ohio in October. Um, cause he says they're so predictable. He's like, man, you get right in where they're, where they're staying at. He's like, "Nobody else is pushing in there. And he's like, I mean, he's killed some Pants. freaking giants. Yeah. But, um, the, the, the one thing about Ohio, Ohio is an awesome state to hunt. And I always hear about people. Uh, the reason why it's also to hunt is it's not super expensive yeah. uh, to go, and I hear all these locals, all these guys on all the Facebook forums, I live in Ohio, man, y'all need to quit hunting here. Our pressure's so high. I'm like, well, y'all need to raise your non-resident license because, you know, I think at that time, last time I looked, I don't know, 180 bucks to 220 bucks. Yeah. It's only like 220 that. bucks. Yeah. And I'm like, man, if you came to Alabama for a hunt, uh, and you're going to buy a license for like the season or whatever, I mean, you're spending $330. I mean, Tennessee is the same way. Georgia is the same way. And I'm like, y'all just need to bump the prices. The state gets a little more revenue, which they're, they're in love. And it might lower the hunting pressure just a touch. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was like, man, it's too good. And plus you get, um, I know. Well, how many bucks do you get with that tag? Is it just the one or. (sighs) I think it is the one. Yeah. I'm I'm a non-resident. I don't have the reds. Right.
0: Uh, Right. I think it is actually just the one.
1: and I I know turkey hunting uh, is pretty good up there. I turkey hunted there uh, back in 2018 and and messed up on a few birds, but uh, yeah, Ohio is a cool place to go. I I know some guys has gone up there and I'm very interested in looking at uh, Illinois as well. There's some public land parcels in Illinois that I know some locals that have scouted it for me. Um, Some good friends that I went to school with and they're like, dude, there's duck hunters out there. That's it. And I'm like, I'm, interesting in uh, because there's, yeah.
0: there's not a lot of public land in illinois either so that's that's nice
1: there is but there isn't yeah. it's in pockets yeah. so you know different parts of the state i don't want to give away too much because yeah, i got yeah, yeah, yeah. my, yeah. my eyes on yeah um yeah. but it's not huge but the thing is so many guys look at southern illinois i've got i've got my uncles they used to go to southern illinois they killed some big deer on public land down there um but it, there are so many small parcels mixed in there you know kind of more central you know illinois and everything that I think is just kind of overlooked because most of the guys I know they all have permission. I mean, it's all like knocking on doors. They got private land. They don't, they don't go hunt public and I'm looking at drooling, man. And just like <laughs> the thick cover on these properties. I'm like, this is, you know, it's all ag around there. I'm like, this is where big deer is getting old at yeah. for sure. That's awesome, so. man.
0: Yeah. So that's pretty much what 2020 has for us. And, um, may, maybe, um, uh, hopefully if, if, if I play my cards right at the end of October, not, uh, like the 24th weekend I might pull something together and make a trip out to Tennessee. So if that could work out, that'd be, be really, really sweet.
1: Tennessee is a fun state to hunt. I have, I had the opportunity at the biggest buck I've ever seen in my entire life on public land in Tennessee back in 20, 2018, I think um, this, I mean, yeah, I have seen 140 inch deer around here before the, those deer would sit inside the rack of this buck uh, and had about 45 yards The rifle my hand. And I screw that up. Oh, so boy. I've, I've had a lot of close encounters with big deer. It's so like, <laughs> man, just, you know, getting that shot off. But uh, yeah, Tennessee is a fun state to hunt. A lot of good deer hunters there too. A lot of good yeah. deer hunters.
0: Yeah. Adrian, one of them.
1: Oh yeah. They, I mean, there, there's, there's some guys that get after yeah. it and uh, you can find some excellent quality deer. Plus, you know, a lot of guys, I tell this all the time, a lot of guys, down south. are like, oh, yeah, we're going to Kentucky, man. All these guys from Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi. Oh, we're going to Kentucky. I'm like, y'all go to Kentucky. Y'all keep driving. I'm, I'm stopping short. Yeah. Um, just because Tennessee is that good, man. And yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's probably some, there might be some locals listening to this in Tennessee. Like, shut up, man. You ain't gotta tell that. <laughs> out. But like, I talk about it all the time. It's too good. Yeah, that's
0: awesome, man. Well, dude, man, I I appreciate you so much coming on to talk everything i i think this was was a phenomenal uh listen as as far as like my point man i learned even from from you of what you what you got going on for what changed you uh from going from what you used to do to where you are now as a hunter uh so i think some hopefully you you listeners out there got the same thing and again i, I hopefully you too you enjoyed the little bit of gear talk that we got into man i think we could do a whole nother podcast uh of gear because man I, I tell you i'd I friggin love it. So, uh, Jacob tell people were, you know, people could find you reach out to you and all that type of stuff.
1: Yeah. I appreciate the invite again, you know, like anybody, I love talking about this kind of stuff, but uh, yeah. So, you know, anybody can find me of course on uh, Instagram or, or Facebook on Instagram. It's at the ginger bow hunter on Facebook. It's Jacob Myers and it's M Y E R S. Uh, and of course, you know, our show, our show, the uh, Southern outdoorsman. Um, you can find that anywhere you listen to any podcasts and on any social media platforms. But, um, but again, we, we appreciate, it. I mean, I appreciate talking with you. I love talking to you honey. I mean, dude, I'm a guy you know normally on our podcast I'm the guy kind of long winded as people probably could tell in this episode but um you know I could go for another 3 hours but people probably don't want to listen <laughs> in their trucks on the way to work for us talking more about gear at this point but It's exciting. There's so much cool stuff on the market. I talked about the ATA this year. That you know, 2020 is the year of the mobile hunter, and I truly believe that there's so much stuff on the market right now at every price point. Saddle hunting, tree stands, climbers. It doesn't matter. Even ground hunting, dude. There's so much stuff on the market. So you know, just get out of your comfort zone, get out there, and just try something out. I mean, and uh, and have fun. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Go out this fun or go out this uh, fall. Have fun. And if you're not having fun, man, you got to do something different. Yes, sir.
0: Hey, keep preaching, dude, because that's what it's about, man. Thank you. so much for coming on hopefully everybody you got something out of it and enjoyed this one make sure to please go follow jacob and and what he's doing over at his podcast on his youtube pages I, it's all good stuff it's all for man and even the the stuff on facebook he does it all for for us uh, as a big community so make sure you, you uh follow along and until uh, next time everybody antler up And that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Man, that was such a fun one to record with Jacob. also want to say congrats to him on that beautiful velvet buck that he shot already this year, hitting 2020 uh, off to a great start for him and his season. So uh, hopefully you liked what you heard. And if you did, check out our other episodes and uh, tune in every Wednesday when we drop a new episode. Hit that notification button and leave a five-star review. It really goes a long way to help us out and check out antlerupoutdoors.com where our store is with some new hats we're going to be fully back in stock with some multi-cam next week and uh definitely check out our partners because they're amazing individuals uh and wood that sell great products so hey thank you for listening appreciate your support till next time antler up